Hello and welcome to Shoot the Breeze, where we take a nostalgic look at a random football magazine from the past. I'm Andy Smith, aka Scotch Footy Cards on Twitter, and with me is Tom Brogan. Hello! In each episode we'll invite a special guest to join us in trawling through the magazine and discuss anything contained within it. Now this could be anything from an article, to a photograph, to a competition, to an advert. Basically, if it's in it, then we'll talk about it. So sit back and let's shoot the breeze. Wriggles clear, might just get the chip and he does, he's scored! Oh, oh what a great goal! He's done it! Oh, brilliant goal! Wiggling his way, that's an excellent one, and he needs! It's a goal! Four for Clydeback, excellent play by Hughes, I think the square of the match, and sweetly finished by Kennedy. Our special guest this week is Gordon Smart. Now, Gordon is a former journalist and editor who's now a radio host, most recently hosting the weekday evening show on my favourite radio station, Radio X, and I'm not just saying that, it is. He's the co-founder of Copper Dog Whiskey, a consultant for Jaguar Land Rover, and apparently he ran with the Olympic torch through Kinross. He's also the other half of Restless Natives, that's easy for me to say, along with our previous guest, Paul Smanitsky. Welcome, Gordon. Thanks for having me. I should point out that I ran the Olympic torch, not because I'd stolen it, but I was given it. <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't doing a runner. It was um, part of the uh, Olympics in 2012. Okay, well, I'm glad we got that sorted out because, you know, it was up there for debate as to what happened there. <laughs> no, but listen, thank you. Thank you very much for, for joining us on, on the show here. So we've, we've picked out a shoot magazine from 9th of November, 1991. So we'll start off by looking at the front of the the magazine itself so the front cover shows Ray Houghton and Mark Walters of Liverpool and they're both celebrating together with a pretty close embrace they look very happy with each other but the accompanying text suggests there's trouble at mill it says the party's over is it the end for the Reds so we'll have a wee look at that inside now just picking out other things from the front page it's 55 pence for the magazine and it says now on sale Tuesday so I think I think what's happening here is you know they're getting a bit of bit of a bit of a twist from Match Magazine at this point, so they're they're doing anything they can to try and make sure that they've got the market share there. Other things, Brightwell's City Secrets. Ian Brightwell takes a look through the Man City squad. Cass and Gabby he says, "Give us a chance." So both Tony Cascarino at Celtic and Marco Gabbiadini at Crystal Palace are insisting that they will come good if they are given time. We've got uh, Blades and Wills team poster, so at Sheffield United get a double page spread, whereas Wills only get a single page spread, so we'll have a look at them inside as well. And we've got the pro set extra time, first with the facts, so this is all the games, results, scorers and teams throughout Britain. And the last one on the magazine here, the front cover says, get it taped, great soccer videos to be won. So just, I mean, they do look very, very happy, uh, Ray Houghton and Mark Walters there, and they're in the... The cla- you know, we keep saying this, it's a classic Liverpool strip, the the Adidas kit from that time as well. So do we want to pick anything out from the front page? I tell you what I remember about that is I used to get um Bino and my brother used to get looking and shoot. And it was around about this time that I started really taking an interest in the uh, in magazines. Yeah. But it's it's mad to think fifty five PA, it's incredible. It's um it's actually probably quite a lot back then for a magazine. Uh-huh. I mean, I think you buy a newspaper, I don't know, like a, a tabloid for about 15p probably around then, 20p. Um, but Mark Walters, that must have been just after Graham Soonis left Rangers, I'd think. And he started to make some signings at Liverpool. 
But yeah, I remember Mark Walters when he played for Rangers up in Scotland. Um, and Ray Houghton would have been fresh out of the World Cup, wouldn't he, in 1990, mm -hmm. with that great goal for Ireland. And that was all in the news again, wasn't it, when Jackie Charlton died last week? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's, um, yeah, what a great picture of the pair of them. Mm -hmm. Cracking picture. Yeah, absolutely. We'll pop into the pages two and three here. Pages two and three, and it's Liverpool, it's over. So, <laughs> yeah, I know it's... Little did they know that it probably was over for quite a while. But in, in 1985, Liverpool were the finest team in Europe. They contested five of the last nine Champions Cup finals, winning four of them and had a tradition of success second to none. Then came Heysel and a six-year ban from Europe. Now they're back, but they're not the same team. So Mike Barnard from shoot assesses a team in decline. And he starts off writing, It's an old cliche that you never write Liverpool off. But now even staunch Copites are wondering if their team's long reign as England's best has finally come to an end. Liverpool were dumped out of the UEFA Cup by Ozair and what was probably the poorest display in a shambles of a season. They're not pulling any punches here. One fan said, I followed them for 25 years and that was the most inept display I've ever seen from any Liverpool team. I'm afraid it's all over. It's not like football fans to, to get a bit sort of, um, you know, overreacting. So Bruce Grobliar was axed from the Liverpool team 10 days previous to the Auxerre game with his future in doubt, but he was called up for the game and stopped an even more embarrassing result for the Reds. Graham Souness had come in and is in the process of trying to put a great Liverpool team together. Now, Shute believes that the decline started with their defeat to Crystal Palace in the FA Cup semi-final in 1990. Other teams started to take advantage of Liverpool's shortcomings and they were no longer viewed as a team that couldn't be beating so there's mention of Souness blooding an 18-year-old Jamie Redknapp in an effort to try and find the right blend and they finish off saying that Liverpool, at the moment at least, are just another team. It's easy to look back in things with hindsight and say, yeah, that's that was the point, that was the that was when it all started. But I guess it's a good point they make about that Crystal Palace defeat and, you know, the, the semi-final. So I think that was a good point about that. So we have, just down the bottom left here, there's a Souness is shopping. So Souness took charge at Anfield on April the 15th and his dealings in the transfer market are shown here. In came Mark Wright for 2.2 million, Dean Saunders for 2.9 million, both from Derby, Mark Walters 1.2 million from Rangers, as you, as you mentioned, and Rob Jones from Crew for £300,000. Now, out went Peter Beardsley, Steve Staunton, Gary Gillespie, David Speed and Jimmy Carter. And I'm, I'm Jimmy Carter's. I think I vaguely remember the name, but I don't remember. We the spoke name. about him before he, he that, dropped something. Is that where it, where it was from? I know we spoke about Rob Jones coming from Crew because I think it, it was quite a quick movement you know, in terms of somebody came down to watch him, and then it was like, right, you're playing against Everton. I think I think he went into a, a Merseyside derby on his first game. I'm pretty sure, and and I think they drew nil nil or something. So he did okay with that. This was the final, so just as a wee spoiler, this was the final season of the old English First Division before the Premiership, and they would see Leeds United crown champions, and Liverpool finished in sixth place, and they would they would see some success this season with a 2-0 victory over Sunderland in the FA Cup final. Yeah, I mean, I think for many, many seasons, it was, it was always this Liverpool, yeah, the, the, you know, at the start of a season, it would always be Liverpool who were... The, the pundits and the, the people who know better would all say, yeah, this could be Liverpool's year. In the same way, I think, for, for a period up in Scotland, it was also Aberdeen. Yeah, Aberdeen are going to challenge this year. They're going to challenge. And more often than not, they didn't. 
what's our thoughts on Liverpool at this time? That was a difficult time for Graham Sooners to take over because I think Kenny Dalglish, he resigned in 1990, didn't he? Um, I watched the film about him the other night, which was absolutely brilliant, really enjoyed it. But taking over there and then having to sort of cut that team apart that had so many big names in it. I mean, getting rid of Peter Beardsley for a start, because he still had a lot of life left in him as a player, didn't he? And I think he did he not do brilliantly when he went to Everton as well. I think he had a pretty good time. So that must have been a fairly contentious sale. Uh, and as we all know, Graham Sunnis is quite a punchy character. So <laughs> imposing his will on that team. I, did, I, I listened to his uh, autobiography actually recently. And he was talking about, I think he made a massive change to the boot room, didn't he, at Anfield? Yeah, and he did, for, yeah. Yeah, for 40 years, he'd you know, had been in the same place and he decided yeah. to move it down the other end of the corridor. A lot of the old boys had the knives out for Sunnis by then. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, he'd also really riled them by doing an interview with his son, mm-hmm. which I think at that time was a massive, massive faux pas. Probably still is. So. Well, apparently it came out on the anniversary of Hillsborough. Oh, God. I, I believe, and you, you would have thought, even though he wasn't at the club at that time, you would have thought he would have known, he would have, he would have known the mood. Yeah, I mean, yeah. He's, he's part of Liverpool's history, you know. He's, he's part of that, you know. And, and I think once you're in a club like that, you, you you don't ever really leave them, do you? You you you're always part of them. And yeah, I, I think we we touched on that in a previous podcast as well about the fact that he did do that interview, and maybe he's not thought of as well down in Merseyside. I mean, he's, he's held his hands up and said he shouldn't have done it and he's apologised. But I think largely Liverpool fans only fond of him because of that. Which is a shame because the game's an absolute legend as a, as a Liverpool player. Yeah. Uh, there was a few few better than Sunnis. Mm-hmm. But as, as you say as well, gone the, 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 you know, the I think the, the biggest nightmare for any manager is probably letting a player go who then goes on to, to do better than than at the club or, or still have time in the game so yeah certainly Peter Beardsley Steve Staunton went on to Villa I guess after that and he still had a few years Gary Gillespie came up to Celtic this would have been did he go to Celtic after this? is that where he would have, he would have came to Celtic? So. Yeah, that's where he went aye. Uh, yeah. Ian Rush as well I think because yeah, Ian Rush went to Sampdoria didn't he or, or was it um, to Rio Juventus, it was Juventus he went to wasn't it? Yeah, you're right, you're right. But that's an interesting squad when you look at it there. Uh, Ronnie Rosenthal as well, Stevie Nicholl. Mm-hmm. Always still had the Scottish spine, didn't he? Yeah, good few Scots in there. And of course, well, this was only soon as his second managerial job. And of course, when he came into Rangers, he sort of just ripped them apart and put his own stamp on it. And I think he kind of tried to do that at Liverpool when maybe it wasn't quite needed the way, the way, it, was, the way it was at Rangers. Maybe mm-hmm. didn't he need to kind of you know, chew through so many players and bring in so many new guys. You forget how young he was as well at that point. He's still in his 30s, wasn't he? So, yeah, you know, still a, a considerably younger than a, a Frank Lampard who's managing a big Premier League team now. So they were young guys. Yeah, so, and, and I don't think yeah. I don't think anybody was going to tell Graham Sooners, especially back then, how to do things. It was like, yeah. you know, absolutely no way. It's my way. Yeah. Tell you what jumps out of me there, I was going to point out, the editor of the magazine was Mark Irwin, who I went on to work with mm-hmm. for quite a while at the uh, the Sun newspaper. If it's, It must be the same Mark Irwin. Yeah. But yeah he's a big character. Is he? I've, I've seen quite a few. So so you sort of, as, as you go through all these magazines, as much as I do, you, you sort of start recognising names, and Mark Irwin is certainly one of the ones that's in there. Yeah. Okay. So I'm, I'm going to jump a few pages, and going to page six, and this is Cass Ablanca. 
So that that's one that you've got to you've got to see that heading to actually appreciate it. So it's about Tony Cascarino and it says one point one million and one goal, but Celtic Ace insists I'll come good. So the article is a photo of Tony Cascarino in a Celtic strip in action, possibly against Motherwell. That's what I'm gonna say. I think you can maybe yeah. just make out a Motherwell player there. He's wearing the infamous Celtic strip with the red people's sponsor on it with a blue Ford logo beside that. I think that's the only time there's ever been blue in the Celtic strip. And that one goes down in infamy. Uh, the article starts, It's not unusual for strikers who score goals for fun in the league to struggle to reproduce a prolific form in the international stage. They then give Peter Beardsley and John Aldridge as examples, but for Celtic's Tony Cascarino, the opposite is true. He scored in the last three Republic Island games, but has only scored one goal for Celtic, and he was sent off six minutes later in the same game. Now Cascarino says, Obviously I'm not happy with just one goal after three months at Parkhead, but I know they will come. I've been told to be more selfish and have a goal myself instead of setting up chances for others. Liam Brady reckoned I'd set up eight of Celtic's first ten goals this season, and he still has faith in me. Now he says he had more injuries in the last three months than in the last three years. And he says football can change very quickly. So he was signed for Celtic for one million, and... I'd say 1.1 there, 1 million, and pretty much he was a poor signing for Celtic. He scored four goals in 30 appearances, and he departed in February 1992 to Chelsea in a deal that saw Tom Boyd come the other way. So I think Celtic got a good deal out of that one, getting Tom yeah. Boyd in. He holds the League One record for the oldest player to score a hat-trick, so he didn't. He moved to France, Marseille and Nantes, and he holds the... The record for the oldest player to score a hat trick, which he did playing for Norns, it is 37 and 31 days. That's not bad going there. Uh, so I've got his, uh, his autobiography here, full time. It was actually his, um, his mother's father, who was his granddad, they discovered that his mum, that wasn't her natural father. Right. And he didn't discover that until 1996. So technically, Although his, his granddad was Irish, they weren't looking for blood. So that, that was uh, when he found out technically, wasn't he actually eligible to play for Ireland? Yeah. I think th- there was a bit of a hoo-ha, but I think they, they basically say ah, he's eligible, he's fine. But apparently he was also eligible to play for Scotland and Italy. And he's a semi-pro poker player, I think. I've seen him in a few things on on strange yeah. channels and, and things like that. He's... Um, Football League Second Division, he won at Millwall, he won League Two in France with Marseille, 94-95, and League Two with Norse in 97-98. Have you read his autobiography, Gordon? No, I've not actually. I, I keep getting it recommended to me, but he, he, he struggled really badly with his confidence, didn't he? I think it's yeah, he did, yeah. Like that. I remember I, I, I got a chance to interview him one night on a panel at, a, I think it was at Arsenal, actually, at the new stadium of the Emirates, and... He talked about it and it was amazing just to see how much he doubted himself because when he played with Teddy Sherring, I think it was at Millwall, wasn't it? They were they were the front two and yeah. they were absolutely brilliant together. Uh, so the, the notion that he would struggle with confidence for any reason just is, is mad, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Celtic wasn't a, a great one for him, was it? Yeah, no, it really was. Hey. Well, I mean, sometimes you just don't... Some, some players just don't fit, do they? I mean, he's, he's pretty much... He's, Apart from a little spell at Chelsea where he scored eight, eight league goals, he's, he's scored you know a decent amount of goals at other ones. 61 league goals in 84 games at Marseille, 42 at Millwall and 105 league games. So, you know, 
he's definitely got 19 goals at international level. Yeah, I mean, it just didn't fit. It just didn't work out for him. Uh, so on on the page with Tony Cascarino, there is a section that says tops and flops. So should give a quick look at strikers they think have either hit or missed since their big money moves. And the hits: Teddy Sheringham at Nottingham Forest, Peter Beardsley at Everton, Gordon Jury at Spurs, Ian Wright at Arsenal, and Nigel Jemson at Sheffield Wednesday. Now, Again, again, not a name I'm overly familiar with, Nigel Jemson. Now, the misses they put down is Darren Beckford of Norwich City, uh, Graham Sharp of Oldham Athletic, Dean Saunders of Liverpool, Ian Dowie at Southampton, and Marco Gabbiadini at Crystal Palace. Uh, Darren Beckford played seven league games for Hearts in 1997. Um, didn't score any goals, but he scored eight for Norwich over a two-year spell between 91 and 93. Sharp, Graham Sharp, who they mentioned, he played at Oldham until 1997, playing 107 league games and scoring 30 goals, which isn't too far off the ratio he had when he was at Everton, which was three, 322 league games and 111 goals. So, you know, one every three three games. Can't really argue with that. But, yeah, I mean, the hits, those are names, apart from that, Nigel Jameson, those are names that you would you would absolutely definitely associate with, you know, having a good good striking career. Yeah, Graham Souness was really loyal to Dean Saunders, wasn't he? Kind of oh, yeah. took him everywhere he went. And I don't think the Liverpool period of that was the was the best. Mm-hmm. But he certainly did pretty well from elsewhere, didn't he? Yeah. I seen him for Galatasaray and for Benfica, I think, as well. Yeah. yeah. So I've got I've got some stats for Dean Saunders. So he played just one season at Liverpool, scoring eleven goals in forty two league games before moving on to Aston Villa, where he scored thirty seven and hundred and twelve. So his career saw started at Swansea, moved to Brighton, Oxford United, Derby County, Liverpool, Aston Villa, Galatasaray, Nottingham Forest, Sheffield United, Benfica, and finished up at Bradford City. He played 75 times for Wales and scored 22 goals there as well. So Ian Dowie, who's mentioned in the flops, he scored 30 goals and 122 games for Southampton. So I think he came okay. I, I always remember Ian Dowie as a if not a, a goal scorer, he was always somebody who would would make goals and make chances for other players as well. A bit of a nuisance at times, I think. Uh, Marco Gabbiadini only played 15 games for Crystal Palace, scoring five goals. Moved on to Derby County the next season and he scored 50 goals in 188 games. And as I say, Nigel Jemson wasn't a name I recalled. He, although he did play 12 games at Air United between 99 and 2000, scoring five goals. He didn't score that many through his career, though. Nine goals in 51 games at Sheffield Wednesday. Yeah. I always like to see these little Scottish links of players that I have no idea played anywhere. So those are always nice to look at. I'll tell you one thing I'd say about Shoot Magazine. Scottish football indexes pretty well in it, doesn't it? You know, there's a, every few pages, there's a good page lead on um, on Scottish football. Yet if you imagine a modern incarnation of Shoot Magazine, wouldn't really focus a great deal on... Uh, What's happening at Eastern Road? Yeah, yeah. But it's it's, it's good cover. Well, we, we 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 do talk we do cover that quite a bit actually. That sort of up to the start of the Premier Premier League in '92, that there was a good coverage of. I mean, especially in the early years, you know, through the the, the late '60s, '70s, and '80s, there was a lot of Scottish content in it. Whether that actual Scottish football within Scotland or players who are down south, there was loads of stuff. 92 onwards it started becoming a bit more premiership focused which 
I can understand to a degree with that, but it, it didn't really help for for people trying to get Scottish content. But yeah, so far, what well, you know, there's on the front cover, you, you've got Ray Ray Houghton and Mark Walters. Ray Houghton, who let's face it, he is Scottish, okay, and then Mark <laughs> Walters, who played in Scotland as well. So there's there's plenty going on there. Across, so just across the page is it's a fantastic advert. So it's a Philips advert, and it says Philips introduces a TV worth looking at even when it's off. Now I'd, I'd never seen this before until I saw this advert. So the photo with the advert is of a living room with various parts of motorbikes and cars as furniture. Uh, at the front, sat on a tire table, is a is a glass tabletop that's set on a motorbike tire. So it's the Philips TV that's being advertised. It's very futuristic looking. It's a, it's a TV that looks as though it's designed based on a, maybe a motorcycle helmet. And it's bright red with a black visor that pulls down over the TV screen. Philips say, we've rebelled against convention and designed a television that doesn't look like a box. It has on-screen display, remote control, sleep timer and 40 preset channels. And it, For me, it, it's it's like something off tomorrow's world you know this is what the future looks like but i've actually i checked on ebay and you can buy one anything from between 100 pound and 200 pound although there's one for 40 that's not working at the minute so that's why but it's it's i've never seen it never seen it in my life you need to have a certain style of living room for that to fit in don't you do you remember a national lampoon's christmas uh, vacation yeah and it's Chevy Chase's next door neighbours. It looks like their living room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's definitely. I mean, it's it's a bit futuristic, and I, I, do you know? I, I don't even know if I fancy it that much. I don't know. I remember all of these things. That's the most worrying thing. How much of a sucker I am for material <laughs> stuff. Mate. But every single advert in these magazines, I'm like, I remember that. I yeah. wanted that. I asked for that for Christmas, mm. and then never got it. But it just shows you the time. I mean, it's 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 um, high high tech features like on screen display, remote control, and a sleep timer. It's like, yeah, yeah. To be honest, I, I get the sleep timer. I'm a big fan of the sleep timer. I'm, I'm, you know that that's that's a an absolute must for me at bedtime. Any any memories of this, Tom? Uh, I don't really know space age television. Is it no, something that maybe you would have fancied uh, Santa to bring you? I don't think so. Because I guess that's one of the things, it's uh, 9th of November, so it's sort of getting towards Christmas time, isn't it? So that's, you know, there's a few adverts in here. I never actually, I don't think I, I, I found out how much it was at the time, but I'd imagine it'd be quite a quite a penny for that. Okay, so we'll move on to, we're going to move on to page 8. So we've got a full colour, full page colour photo of Man United's Andre Kanchelskis. And it shows on Andre in full flow for United with the ball at his feet. There's so much is great about this photo from the United Adidas strip, the sharp sponsor, the three stripes down the arms, short sleeves, I'm a big fan of short sleeves, white shorts with red bands down the sides, black socks, red and white three stripes at the top, the Adidas tango ball, and I'm going to be a bit geeky here and say it looks like the Etrusco Unico tango from the 1990 World Cup Italia, so yeah, and of course to finish it off he's wearing a great pair of Adidas World Cup boots. I mean, it's 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 certainly it's a showcase for Adidas there, isn't it? It's it's probably you know one of the. I was just going to say that we we talk about there's a certain period where it goes past it for kits when they start getting a bit horrible and big, you know, really big sizes and sort of box shape. 
but they, I think that's just sort of on the cusp of changing over. But it's still, I think it's still a beautiful, beautiful looking kit there. It's an absolute classic, isn't it? Thirty years on, that's still what you want to walk on and play football. In. Yeah, you, know, you, you don't even have to be a United fan to admire that kit. It's a beauty, isn't it? Just classic. And what a player as well, Kinchelskis was, eh? Oh yeah, definitely. So Everton, Man United, Rangers, Rangers. Yeah. He played. Did he play in Italy as well? You know, about time at Fiorentina. That's what I'm, I'm thinking. Fiorentina, yeah, yeah. Fiorentina rings a bell for me as well. My next door neighbour, a massive Man United fan, and they actually had uh, a season ticket. And I remember he always had the Man United posters up in his uh, in his bedroom. And that, I remember squads just beginning to, because I was sort of Lee Sharp was just beginning to emerge as a young player. Then Ryan Giggs not long after. Mm. But there was a, a pretty special team, wasn't it, when uh, around 91, 92 with Kinchelskis, Brian McClare. Yeah. It's a great team. Great team. So on the next page, I don't think we even need to, looking, looking at the three of our complexions, there's no way that we would have needed this facial wash oxy back then. So let, let's just bypass that, shall we? Unless anyone has any memories that they want to revisit here. Are we okay with that? Okay. It goes more of a clear so man. <laughs> yeah. So we're on, Keir, Keir Radnage goes worldwide. So we're on page 10. So this is where they look at just th- things that have gone on across the globe. So I'm going to pick out a couple here. So in France, Marseille skipper Jean-Pierre Papin was knocked unconscious by a bottle thrown from a hooligan as they arrived for a league game in Saint-Étienne. Marseille, without their skipper, were beaten 1-0, but are now demanding that the match be replayed or awarded to them. Now, I, I couldn't find any records to suggest that the game was awarded or replayed, so I don't know if you, you've found anything on that, Tom, but I mean, I looked, no. at the, I looked at the leagues. I looked at the leagues, sorry, at the end, and there wasn't any asterisk, you know. We're, we're at that point where we're looking for asterisks at the at league tables at the end of the season, so... Well, what I found was uh, Papan got off the team bus and, and somebody chucked a bottle at him as he was coming off the team bus. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so he didn't play in the game, he watched the game for the stands. But apparently the St Etienne doctors accused him of uh, fainting, of uh, faking it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> here's, a, here's a trivia question for you. Who was manager of Monaco at this point? Was it, was it Wenger? I think it was, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think Wenger would have been the manager. Yeah, you could have at least paused there for a second, Tom. You know that that was that was Gordon's party question. I was like, who's manager of Mets then, Tom? <laughs> go on, go on, Tom. Google it. I'll edit this perfectly, so it'll sound as though you just answered straight away. Yeah. Well, the wee bit, the wee bit I found it was well, it was from Le Monde, but I got it translated, so it's maybe not accurate. Rumours circulated in French football since the evening in Saint Etienne foreshadows such controversy. Several questions remain unanswered. The projectile was not a bottle, as the player still assures today, but a box. In other words, a much lighter object. (laughs) Several witnesses attested it was open and probably empty. So I don't know if the suggestion was Papan wasn't he fit and was trying to get out of playing in the game or something. So were they saying that they think it was a box, but it was open and empty? Yeah. But was, so, it, was it like a, a, a box of wine or something? Possibly, yeah. yeah. We'll be in France, who knows? Could yeah, well yeah. be. In. I tell you, I tell you who would here's a, a great Scottish link to Marseille as well. Frank Sosie would have been playing for them at that point, mm-hmm. wouldn't he? Yeah, yeah. A, yeah. a young Frank Sosie. Again, that was a great team because that would have been Chris Waddle probably after yeah. the World Cup 90. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, Basil Bowley, remember him? Bowley, yeah, absolutely. So he, of course, a, a, a high B legend. Aye. Oh, just incredible. What a player when he came to us. Yeah. A, a leader. Uh, just a phenomenal footballer. Centre half or centre midfield. Just brilliant to watch. Amazing. Yeah, he's a cracking player. That, that, strip, that strip's a class. Yeah, yeah. Again, it's similar to the, the Liverpool one that, that Adidas style way with the three stripes. Yeah. I think we spoke about this before. And the first I recall that was, was it a World Cup? It was a Euro, the Euros, I think. It would have been Euro... Well, this was 91, so it might have been before that. But the first I really recall that, I think, was the Russian side or the, the CIS maybe had, had that, the 92 yeah. Euros. So I think that's when I first recall seeing that. But, you know, I wouldn't maybe have, have seen much in the way of Euro- European football back then. So it wouldn't have been that familiar to me. But yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful strip. So uh, we're on to Germany. So in Germany, Bayern Munich will attempt to overturn a 6-2 deficit from the first leg of the UEFA Cup against BK Copenhagen. It was Bayern's worst European result for 13 years and left their Danish coach, Soren Lerbe, embarrassed. So as a spoiler, Bayern would only win the game 1-0 with an 89th minute penalty in the return leg. Now, a couple of things to take from that. Firstly, it says a 6-2 defeat was Bayern's worst European result for 13 years. I don't think 13 years sounds that long a time to be beaten 6-2. I'd be worried if I was beaten 6-2 within 13 years of being beaten 6-2 previously. And secondly, obviously the, the Bayern coach at the time was a Dane. So it's a wee bit, you know, a wee bit suspicious. Against Copenhagen, I'm, I'm the one to cast cast aspersions or not. So over in, over in Belgium, Mechelen def- midfielder Pascal Devald has been sentenced to two years in prison for drunk driving that led to a car crash that left two dead and one seriously injured. Now he ended up serving eight months of his sentence and returned to play football for Valenciennes in France and then Harold Becker and Hoogstraten back in Belgium. So a bit of a sad a sad story to end that little section on. Again, two years in prison, eight months spent, and back into the game. I mean, we've seen we've seen things like that quite a bit. That clubs will take a chance or will take the flack of a player if they if they think they're going to add to the the quality of the team, irrespective of what they've done in the past. Not, you know, I think everybody's got their own thoughts on that. Uh, some people think that you know you, you do your time, you you should be able to have these other chances. I think I'm sort of in between in between the two of the two of that. But we're getting a bit deep here, so let's let's get away from that one. Uh, sorry, I was just going to say because um, um, God, just talking about trivia questions, you rem- you reminded me of one which um, it might be a bit it was outdated now. It was a few years ago, so it was five players who have played for Hibs and also won the European Cup. That's fantastic, isn't it? Oof. Well, Susie would be one, wouldn't he? Yep. Um, let me think. Hmm. European Cup winners from... Can I join in? Oh, good Aye. question. Murdo McLeod? No. Um, European Cup winners. Oh, Cup winners. Sorry. Sorry. Right, okay. I thought you just meant a European Cup. Ooh. Great question. Did Latape win it with um, in Portugal? I think so. Have a wee look. He wasn't one of the five anyway. Like I say, it was a few years ago, so it might be... Might be outdated now. There might be more. You'll kit yourself at a couple of them. I'm trying to think. Did John Collins win at Monaco? No. Mm-hmm. Oh, we'd have known about that. 
through. Mm. Oh, I'll kick myself. Go on. I'll put, put me out of my misery. George Best. Des Bremner. We asked him for Yeah. Ronnie Simpson and Bertie Old. We were looking the wrong way in terms of um, when aye, it aye. happened. <laughs> I should have, I should have said, should have given you the chronology. Mm. Okay, no, that's, that's a good one. That's a good one. It wasn't wasn't Barry Levetti then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we're just across the page again. So again, we're on adverts. Say we're coming up to Christmas. So this is for Gola football boots, and this is a full page advert for the new Gola Tactician football boot. Now, I think it's actually a, a, a pretty good-looking boot, and it's quite a departure from previous uh, yeah. Gola okay, boots. It's a kind of European-looking boot mm. for Gola. Yeah. Because mm. I, I think it just looks a bit more professional and high-end. It looks like a proper boot. It looks... The, 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 the leather on it looks like a, a you know a quality leather, whereas before, they're, they're sort of plasticky. I mean, they're good-looking boots, but I, I think that looks like something that you would wear. Uh, so, so they get certainly. It says it comes in three varieties: a narrow fit, a medium fit, and a wide fit. Now they're certainly going for it in this ad. They're talking about it being ergonomically designed, volumetric fits, and having an exoskeletal sole. So they're, they're, they're definitely pushing it here. So the boot, the boot is mostly in black, but it has some colour on the sole and the heel, which is green, white, and red. And I'm wondering if that's possibly a nod to the the recent World Cup in Italy. So maybe. I don't know if it's been out for a little bit and maybe they they launched it for the World Cup or if it's just afterwards, but it's certainly got an Italian feel to it. So what do you reckon of those boots? They were the goalers were an absolute no no for my my age group in the nineties, you know, if you're gonna get picked on if you want a pair of goalers, <laughs> but they're actually absolute beauties. I think yeah. they look really good. Yeah. They're really, really good. It's funny as well, I remember the narrow fit, medium fit, white fit carry on as well. Right. Used to when you used to go get your feet measured when you were a kid. And they put the straps around them in oh, there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, that, I remember them. But you've all done nonsense, eh? <laughs> An exoskeleton on I your know. boots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're, they're doing that thing with their shampoo adverts and stuff, and are really bad at it. You know, talking about apt, active liposomes and things like that. You know, the pseudoscience. But you know, yeah. sorry, you're talking about the narrow fit and the medium fit and the wide fit here. I think the only difference here is you get the three. I think you maybe get the three insoles. And it's uh, them that you put in, so so you don't get different boots, which you know it's fair enough. I mean, I I'm, I've got quite wide wide feet, so I always get a, a size bigger than than I probably need. So something like that would have been great. As Kenny Dalglish always said, though, if there's anything other than black and white in your boots, you better be some player. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Tom, would you have had a pair then, or were you a black and white player then? I was well, I was black and white. I definitely had Gola boots though. Yeah, but yeah, I think they were still white. I seem to remember the yellow studs, but mm-hmm. still white stripes. Yeah, I mean, I always associate the Gola boots with with the Melchester Rovers. Yeah, Roy Race. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's that's how I associate that. Okay, listen, we're we're going to take a wee departure from the magazine for for a minute, and you you'll be more than aware of the the focus on sections that you get in the magazine, where you know they they will ask a famous footballer of the time, etc questions so we're going to do that with you gordon we're going to ask you a set of questions don't worry there's there's nothing there's nothing here that can trip you up hopefully so we'll, we'll start from the beginning full name gordon murray smart there you go what's your birthplace edinburgh simpson's maternity memorial hospital edinburgh 
Oh, do you know? I always like it when people give the hospital. Mine was Red, <laughs> Redlands Hospital, Glasgow. It's no longer there, but I always like that. That's. I that was Redlands as well. Yeah, we'll, we'll yeah. chat about that later. Eh? <laughs> uh, uh, first car, a Renault Clio 1.9 diesel. What color? Black with a blue Go Faster stripe. <laughs> of course, it was brilliant. <laughs> Who's your favourite player of all time? Oh, it's a brilliant question. Right now, because he's fresh in my mind, I'd probably say Russell Latapi. Right, that's a good one. I like that. Who's your favourite team? There's an easy one. Hibernian FC. <laughs> so just while we're on that, High Bees or the Hibbies? What, what's you, what, what would you call it? Is it is one acceptable and one isn't? Or is both of them just interchangeable? For me, they're, bo- they're both all right for me. Yeah. I think we're one of those clubs that's got plenty of nicknames. The Cabbage and Ribs, mm-hmm. Hibs, High Bees, Hibbies. All of them are good for me. Okay. What was your most memorable match? It's got to be Scottish Cup final, 21st of May, 2016. Yeah. I was there with my brother and my son, and it's just the, probably the best day of my life, actually. It's uh, definitely up there with the kids being born. It, it was just such a special occasion. And getting to Hamden that year for the Cup final and lost. Uh, so I turned up with absolutely no expectation whatsoever. And everything was perfect. From the minute I woke up that day uh, to the minute I got home, it was just Unbelievable, world class, so special. And I, I went through to the game with Paul Kane, uh, Dougree Scott, my brother. Just a crowd of us on a four, the four in hand bus from Easter uh-huh. Road, and it was just such a special occasion. <clears throat> and the following day, the Sunday, I had to go back to London because it was the first time I'd ever edited the big newspaper. It was the first time I'd edited the Sun, sort of the national edition. And I was so tempted just to put Hibs on the front page in England and then <laughs> walk out smoking a cigar and resign. But um, it was so funny because I was on a ridiculous flight on the Sunday, like a seven o'clock in the morning flight down to Gatwick, I think it was. And there was a Rangers fan <laughs> sitting in front of me, so hungover and so miserable. And I just sat smiling at him all the way on the flight. And then he got off the plane. We walked all the way through the airport together, got on the same train, Sat, sat across from each other <laughs> all the way on the train into London then got on the tube he was on the same tube as me as well and I was just grinning at him all the way I'm lucky I didn't get filled in because he was bigger than me but it was such a special occasion that was definitely the, the most memorable footballing occasion for the, the game itself as well as the result mm. and were you on the pitch at the end? yes I was on the pitch uh, I can say that now with, with no fear of being arrested um, I took my son with me and we, it was just, I feel a bit bad about it now because the players never got their um, their lap of honour and stuff like yeah. that, which is a shame. And obviously the, the scrapping was ridiculous. But, uh, I mean, the, the emotions that were flowing through us all, I never thought it was going to happen. You know, so many disappointments as a Hibs fan. And it was, it was amazing just standing with people who were saying, oh, I wish my dad was here or my granddad would have loved this. Or I think there was one guy, and I, I'll probably get this wrong, and I get slagged off all the time for getting stuff wrong, but uh, I think there was a guy there who'd been to 21 cup finals and he'd obviously seen Hibs win twice. So, yeah, the League Cup and score Cup in 91 and 2006. And, you know, 21 cup finals to see two wins isn't a great return, is it? No. So just just people crying and you know my wee boy with my brother, it was just so special. It was great, mm, great. So maybe the next question will be the same answer. I don't know, but what's been the biggest thrill of your life? So this doesn't have to be football, but I was gonna, I was going to give you another football answer. It was probably when Scotland inexplicably played Brazil at the Emirates in London 
in about, what was that, 20... 2011? Yeah. 2011 would have been, aye. And there's a guy, I think, I don't know if you've had him on yet, Neil Forsyth, the author. Yeah, we've got him on, got him on tomorrow. Neil Forsyth, so you've got to ask him about this. We hired a pub in Islington, in London, and I don't know how many hundred people turned up to this tiny wee pub. The barman had to go to the cash and carry after about an hour and restock. Because <laughs> <laughs> we, we drank the place dry and one of my good friends from home, he turned up uh, and was he, he pulled a guitar off the wall and was playing Caledonia and singing on the tables. And uh, I don't think we went home for three days. I just went missing. I went missing in action. It was brilliant. What great experience that was as a Scot. Just so many, so many of the Scotland trips. We went to Ireland as well, uh, to Dublin. That was brilliant. I think the game, I can't remember a ball being kicked. I was so steaming, but me, me and we Compston went across for that one. And um, <laughs> it, was, it was funny because I think Vauxhall had sponsored the trip if we did some videos for it online. So we, we, drove, we drove across and met Martin in Dublin because he was filming Line of Duty. So um, actually we picked him up in Belfast, then drove down to Dublin, watched the game, had two days on the sky, which was incredible. And then I went to the airport to fly home because I was under strict instructions from my wife to get back to help with the kids. So I managed somehow to get out of my bed after about half an hour's kip, got to the airport. It was a, I think it was a Ryanair flight back to Edinburgh. And they wouldn't let me on the plane because I didn't have a passport because I'd come across in the car. So I had to phone my wife and say, I, I'm not going to make it back. And she was like, rubbish. I'm not buying that for a second. <laughs> so what we did is, um, this is probably illegal, but I think we're safe to tell the story. But I think seven of us ended up in a Vauxhall Astra on the way back, all the way from Dublin to Glasgow, which was the worst experience of my life. And you remember the smell of the Scotland Express on the train or, you know, Three days in the it was it was brutal, but that was a, an amazing experience. Mm. But yeah, I mean, I've been very lucky in my life to have a lot of like mind blowing experiences that I still actually can't believe happened. So I could bore you all day with them. Yeah, and and the fact that you can still remember them is probably a pretty a good bonus for that as well. I remember a version of them. That's the problem. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just every time I do a podcast, somebody will ring me up a week later and go. You not remember actually that was two years later or <laughs> that <laughs> happened or this happened or whatever. Yeah. Great stuff. So on on the flip side, what's been your biggest disappointment? Oh god, that's a good one. Um oh god, that's a good question. Biggest disappointment. I think I remember being really, really down when Hibs got relegated the season when Grant Brebner came back and played for us. And I think I went to see Hibs almost every game that season. And I remember it pretty well because I think we had a brilliant start to the season. We were top of the league after three games and then had a fairly depressing run. And I remember watching Chick Charnley and Ray Wilkins playing for us at one point, thinking we had a combined age of about 93 in the Hibs midfield. Um, and it was it was quite a, a tough time to be a Hibs fan. Yeah, it was pretty, pretty, pretty bleak. But in the late, eight, in the late 90s, I went to see an awful lot of Hibs. And it was, it was pretty depressing, yeah. That yeah. was quite bad. Okay. So what's the best country that you've visited? Um, again, brilliant question. Um, I love, I really liked Canada, weirdly. I've been to Canada quite a lot. So Vancouver is an incredibly cosmopolitan city. Uh, I went I went there on, on the world tour with the Spice Girls <laughs> in 2007. 
And I just remember having a brilliant night out there and really liking the people. And I've been to Toronto a few times as well with work. So I, uh, I went to cover the V Festival in Toronto. And it was the night Oasis headlined and Noel Gallagher got attacked on stage. Right. But that, that kind of killed the after party because we had, we had a big one planned that night. And uh, it kind of put a bit of a damper on things. But we then ended up having one of the most monumental weekends of our lives at that, at that one. So Toronto was amazing. And then I've been, I've been there. My wee brother was a skiing teacher in uh, a place called Sunshine, uh, which was not far from Calgary. And that we went out for three weeks uh, about 10 years ago, 12 years ago, actually. And I, I just loved it. I just thought it was a great place. So I just always felt it was quite similar to Scotland in a way, just a beautiful, wide open space. And you're good at you know, the people I met there were very good at going out and drinking. Uh, <laughs> so I, I quite like Canada. It sounds like a really boring answer, actually. But yeah, I just thought that somewhere I could have imagined myself living. Mm. No, listen, there's, there's no wrong answers. That's the main thing, isn't it? No wrong yeah. answers. What's your favourite food? God, again, uh, really predictable answer here, but I do love a curry. Yeah, I love a curry. No matter where you pitch up in the world, I'll always end up finding a curry house. But again, I've been really spoiled. With, I'll tell you a funny story relating to uh, fancy food. and uh, One of the best meals I ever had was at a restaurant uh, in near Nice in Antibes and it was a place called the Chevre d'Or which means the golden goat and um, when you know I'm, I'm married to Jim Leishman's daughter so when Jim lost his wife when my wife wife lost our, our mum uh, we decided to take him away on holiday to cheer him up so we went to Nice because he loves it there he used to go on holiday with, with Mary and we'd heard about this place and he'd talked about it somewhere he always wanted to go so this would have been 12 years ago pretty much 11 years ago and uh we arranged the taxi to pick us up, to go to the restaurant, to have our dinner. So it was me and my wife, Big Leishman, and his son, Jamie. And uh, the taxi was about 11 minutes, right, from the hotel. And it was 150 euro. And at that point, my arsehole fell out. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, we went in for dinner and there were no prices on the menu whatsoever. And that worried me. Uh, and then they presented us, without us even asking, with champagne. And I'm beginning to get really nervous thinking this is going to be quite a pricey meal. And then my brother-in-law at this time was probably early 20s maybe. And he's like, I'll have another glass of that please. Thank you very much, my good friend. <laughs> and I was like, would you just stop it? Because this is going to be painful. It was my treat. Yeah. And sure enough, like we had three waiters each. Jim had three, I had three, my wife had three. One for cutlery, one for crockery. And I'm thinking, oh, this is bad. I am so horribly, horribly out of my depth. Mm. And they were bringing us little tasting menu stuff, you know, really fancy French food, haute cuisine. The chef came out and spoke to us. Jim's obviously boring them with crap football stories, you know. <laughs> Tell her, Ken, son, I once tried to sign that boy to Reba West. He was French, eh? <laughs> <laughs> Just shaking his Nigerian, Jim. <laughs> so anyway, we had this meal and then the, the bill arrives gift wrapped in leather and bound with truffle <laughs> and I've, I opened it up and I, I nearly had a heart attack fell off my chair mm -hmm. and I'm too embarrassed even to tell you how much it was but it was probably in the region of a month's wages for me yeah and uh, Jim Jim had to <laughs> Jim had to chip in which was the worst part of it because <laughs> my credit card was didn't have a high enough limit to pay for it <laughs> it was it was awful was the food was it all worth it though the food I'd rather than Nando's, to be honest. <laughs> well, there's there's a there's a, a review for the for the for the restaurant there, isn't it? Okay, so miscellaneous like so so give us just two things that you like doing 
right? I'm going to be really honest with you because why not, right? I'm absolutely obsessed with cutting my grass. <laughs> Are you okay? It's not a euphemism or anything like that. But um, is that a ride really on you've really... got? Is it is that a ride on more or is it just a no, push? No, it's more advanced than that. It's uh, a petrol cylinder uh, more, mm. and it's uh, it's. I've got a friend. One of my pals used to play football. Was the greenkeeper at Kinross Golf Course, right. Andy Crawford, and he's helps me with a bit of fertilizer, a bit of iron. And I've got, I've now got a check in it, but I can hear your listeners tuning out as I talk about this. So, well, there's one yeah, listener I'll... that won't, and that's Alan Jack, who we, we had on because he actually works in that industry. So, we'll maybe get some freebies from Alan. Brilliant, get him on. Listen, I'll, I'll be <laughs> pestering you for him. Uh, so, I love, I love cutting my grass. And um, before lockdown, I got really madly in uh, the gym, but it was kind of a combination of CrossFit stuff and Daft Fitness. But I trained with a retired rugby player uh, and some of the boys from the Special Forces. And I managed to get myself the fittest I've ever been at 39 and then turned 40 in lockdown and I've committed my life to eating digestive biscuits and drinking <laughs> coffee. And uh, it's all gone to shit in the last three, four months. But yeah, that, that, I mean, I was really, really enjoying it. Just, it was, it was fascinating. There's like three different aspects to it. You did uh, gas tank, yard work and strongman. Mm. And you turn up and every time it would be different. So some days you'd be you know, lifting kegs, uh, you know, doing farmer's lifts and carrying weights. The next day you turn up and you'd have to run as, as far as you could in a, uh, an hour and a half. Just, yeah, and it just kept kept me ticking over and it really helped the head. Yeah. It caught me off the, off the booze as well. Okay. So on the flip side of that, give me two things that you dislike, two things that drive you up the wall. The biggest thing in the world that I dislike is uh, shopping with my wife when she's <laughs> shopping for anything actually when she's in the supermarket she not and really annoys me uh, the worst thing though probably is oxford street around any any time from late november through december I, i'm always on the cusp of a michael douglas falling down you know it's uh, i just ca i can't stand it are you just can't a passenger in the process of the shopping yes yeah. i am there for carrying and uh money <laughs> what's your second dislike i've got a real thing with snobbery I, I i just can't i can't be witness to anybody being looked down upon because of what they do for a living or where they come from or what background I, in my book we are all exactly the same and it's, it's something i've seen happen a lot uh in various different you know aspects of my life and i I just can't have it. I can't have it at all, you know. Just think it's a revolting and disgusting thing. And, you know, it's just, we're all the same. It doesn't matter what kind of car you drive, what you do for a living, where you grew up, what school you went to. It just doesn't matter. You know, you got to judge everybody by who they are. And, you know, I get really, I get really twitchy and chippy about it as well. And, you know, people will make their mind up about you because you've done something for a living or, you know, I see all the time, like if you're a, an accountant, for instance, you're a bean counter, you're boring. You know, my brother's a dentist and you should you should hear what people say to him before they've even got to know him. You know, yeah. it's like, are you horrible human being? You know, um, my, my dad, I remember my dad saying that once, like my dad's a doctor and um, my big brother's a dentist. I'm a journalist and I had a speech at a wedding and he said, well, I've got a dentist and a journalist. I think the third one might end up being a murderer and I'll have the full set. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So it's um, 
It's uh, yeah, snobbery is oh. my biggest dislike and hate. Here, here, I'm with that as well. Favorite singers, so give me two favorite singers. I'm only going to allow two. David Bowie, good one, and Nina Simone. Okay. Yeah, she's got. And I'll give you a recommendation. Actually, I, I listen to a song. It's normally about three o'clock in the morning before I go to my bed. She recorded a song at the Montreux Jazz Festival called Stars, and it's all about how dangerous fame can be, and it's beautiful. She's amazing. Mm, I'll give that a listen. Favourite actors? So again, two actors you get. Right, because I'm uh, I'm reading a book at the moment which is absolutely brilliant about Saturday Night Live and the stars of Saturday Night Live in the late 80s and uh, early 90s. And I'm going <laughs> to choose completely uncool choices and say Chevy Chase <laughs> because the thought of the man just makes me laugh. Um, and Dan Aykroyd. Now, I could have given you Robert De Niro and Stephen Graham, Al Pacino, all of that carry on, but I'm going to go for those two. I should say Martin Comston, but I can't bam him <laughs> up because he's yeah. a wee shite full of his own importance anyway. <laughs> so um, I'll, I'll go for Chevy Chase and Dan Aykroyd and Spies Like Us. Oh, do you know what? I, I absolutely love your answer because I am a huge Chevy Chase fan. It, it, like yourself, it's like... That that scene in Spies Like Us where they're, they're cheating, and and it's like the the the, the videos of, of watching them, and it's it's just as you say, just just watch looking at his face, just his his you know the faces, the pulls, and his looks just send me into hysterics. I, I watched something recently, a movie that I would never even consider watching. It was called something like Funny Farm or something like that. It was one of these ones that you would think, nah, I'm not. But he was in it, and so I watched it and. Wasn't he the greatest movie in the world? But I enjoy every single moment he was on the screen. I absolutely love him. And I could give you a list. I could give you an answer that would go on for hours about another twenty actors. But mm. it's funny. I think people are too shy to be really honest about stuff because it's seen to be uncool. But when I was growing up in the eighties and nineties, like those guys were incredible. Bill Murray, uh, Chevy Chase, Dan Aykroyd, mm. Eddie Murphy, all those movies. You know, Beverly Hills Cop, uh, Fletch. Ghostbusters, all of that was it was really it was a special time for comedy and movies. Mm. I mean, it comes back to what you say about snobbery, isn't it? Some people right. are snobbery about when it comes to actors. As you say, oh yeah, De Niro and all that. So no, Aykroyd, they they make me laugh. They they make me enjoy the movies. So why not them? Why not them? Right. Absolutely. So he's going. Is it, is it Wild and Crazy Guys you're reading? That's the one, Nick Dissembly. I've I've got it. it. I have not started reading it yet. But I've got it. Oh, it's brilliant. I'll give you a quick story from it just very quickly. Um, so Chevy Chase was the first to leave that crop on Saturday Night Live yeah. and he got all the big money in Hollywood. He'd gone across and he'd come back to guest host Saturday Night Live and Bill Murray and him hated each other, absolutely despised each other. And there was a massive scrap in the dressing room before they went on. And it was it came to blows. Apparently Bill Murray's quite a hard guy um, and so is Chevy Chase, big, both big lads. And the, the, but the best bit that everybody recounts, Dan Aykroyd and all the people, Steve Martin, all those guys that worked on it, was they, they ended up doing like a succession of put downs, shouting at each other. And Chevy Chase, Chevy Chase had said to Bill Murray, he said, uh, I'm going to land Neil Armstrong on your face because he had really bad acne, like a moon crater. <laughs> and about Bill Murray had replied, it uh, uh, said, um, you are an average talent. <laughs> medium talent <laughs> brilliant yeah. excellent so got a couple of questions left here who's your best friend a guy called Ewan Gowdy 
um, who I went to school with from about the age of, well, that had been about 10 or 11. And uh, he was best man at my wedding and I was best man for him. Saw him yesterday. He's still probably my closest friend. It's quite, there's there's two actually, another guy, Benji Edie, who I've known since I was four years old, but my two longest standing childhood friends. Yeah, Benji and Gaudi are the two best pals. Excellent. Who's the biggest influence on you? Um, probably, probably my dad, actually. You know, he's, I always admired him because he was the kind of person that there's no fuss, there's no faff, never wants the spotlight. He, you know, he's, he's one of these people that doesn't ask for praise or affirmation or thanks for anything. He's just a no-nonsense, classic yeah. Scottish man who is a solid rock for all those people around him. And yeah, I really respect him, really look up to him. And he's just a, a wonderful, kind, caring, compassionate, very angry, aggressive, <laughs> driving Scottish man with a tash. Brilliant, love it. <laughs> Uh, final question: Which person in the world would you most like to meet? I would like to meet Barack Obama. Mm-hmm. I think he was a, one, a wonderful president, and I think he's an incredibly interesting man. So yeah, probably him. We've an awful lot to talk about, but yeah, he would he would be the main man for me. Excellent. Okay, so that's the end of the questions. Tom, is there anything you want to? Yeah, well, I, I was going to ask you, Gordon, what was it like uh, writing Vinnie Jones's book with him? Oh, it was an incredible experience. One of the one of the highlights of my adult life because you know I, I met Vinny um, probably 13 years ago, something like that, and we immediately hit it off having a fight on a red carpet, which, which was pretty intimidating. Um, I thought he was going to leather me, and he should have done, actually, looking back at it, but we became really good friends, and it was a, a great experience. I, I went across to LA, and I lived with him for three weeks with him and his wife, Tanya, who passed away recently, really sad actually, but we, we just had such a wonderful time and I'd sit down with him at nine o'clock in the morning in his cabana in his back garden and he would just sit and tell me stories all day and we did that every single day for three weeks and in exchange for that, I had to play for his team. He was at that point <laughs> managing Hollywood All-Stars. Um, so I played, I think I played four games, we lost four games and I got three yellow cards and a red card. And <laughs> <laughs> it was brilliant. I just loved his company. And he's, he's a really interesting character, Vinny, because there's this public perception of him and what he's really like. And when we wrote the book, he gave up drinking. He was in the middle of packing in the booze, which was difficult because our relationship was based entirely on getting leathered. Um, <laughs> so uh, it was quite a, an unusual time. But he was in a quite a crazy period of reflection, like in looking back at his life and at that time he'd just he'd just been diagnosed with skin cancer so there was an awful lot going on and his wife was the longest living heart transplant patient in the world and there's just so much about him that's really interesting he's a generous guy he you know looks out for people he's always lending money to folk or putting a roof over people's heads and when I was out there um, Wally Downs came out for a bit and that was a total disaster like because he was part of the original part of the crazy gang Wally he was the first ever apprentice YTS player at Wimbledon. And Wally came out with a, a packet of 40 knockoff Pierre Cardin underpants, <laughs> a toothbrush, a toothpaste. That's all he brought. <laughs> and then on the second night, he set fire to Vinny's house. Well, I mean, some of the stuff that happened, I mean, it was like being in the crazy gang. It was brilliant. And uh, it was great fun writing the book and it did really well. Um, and I, I, I really, really enjoyed the experience. And, I learned a load about him, things that I would never have, you know, he, he never got booked when he played for Leeds. How about that for a, a statistic? And I said, how, how did that happen, Vinny? And he said, because I was playing 
in a team full of wonderful footballers, I didn't need to hurt anybody. <laughs> I think the season after that, he ended up getting sold to Sheffield United and got sent off every week. Um, but he, he's great company. And you know what? He, he's one of the most loyal people you'll ever meet. Like, uh, I asked him a favour. They, they had a, a Celtic and Dunfermline Jockstein Memorial football match and fundraiser in Dunfermline. And uh, they were, Big Jim said, Look, would you, would you mind asking Vinny? And sure enough, at his own cost, he flew over to turn up at East End Park, and uh, he, he he didn't play because he was he was injured, he was knackered. But he sat on the bench with Davy Moyes, and managed one of the teams, and then came to the dinner afterwards, and I did a Q and A with him, Davy Moyes, Stan Petrov, and uh, Martin Comston, and all Vinny asked for was around the golf at Glen Eagles. Brilliant. Wow. That's well, I mean, what a brilliant guy, and all the money, the after dinner speaking money. Everything like that, he said, no, no, put it into your mother-in-law's charity. I don't want a penny from you. Mm. So wow, that's great. So one of the things I found out about you when you moved to London is you did some coaching using the Curver method. Is that right? That's right, so- yeah. yeah. I mean, I was still holding out hope of playing football at a reasonable level at that point, you know. So, I mean, I spent most of my late teens in plaster, just kept breaking bones. Mm. Um, so I... Eventually moved, chased Leishman's daughter down to London. She was working in the West End, singing and dancing. And I just couldn't get a job in newspapers, couldn't get a job in telly. I was just some Scottish punter with a degree. And uh, I went to this gym where, where Kate was living in Epsom in Surrey. And there was a poster on the wall saying, football coaches wanted. And I was actually looking for a club to sign for. So I was, I was 20, I think, at the time. So I rang the number and it was a guy called Gwyn Berry, who was a like a lower league journeyman, captain of Woking, won the FA Trophy, played all through the Ryman League, uh, Sutton United. I think he played in the Sutton United game when they beat Coventry. Right. And uh, I met him and we ended up in the pub and uh, he gave me a job in the spot. And <laughs> for the next year, I coached. It was I loved it. I coached the little kids, five, six, seven-year-olds. And uh, during the week, I was a football coach at a really posh school called... Um, I was called Chessington House, Shrewsbury House. Right. And, uh, and I used to teach Annabelle Croft's kids, uh, Eamon Holmes. There were quite a few famous folk that went there. And, you know, I was just this young Scottish lad. But I, I used to break my heart because the kids had come to tuck shop with £50 notes and I was on £6 <laughs> an hour, you know. Yeah. Um, but at that time, I was kicking around the lower leagues in England. So I, was, uh, I played like two games, I think, at Sutton United on trial, um, Corinthian Casuals. Uh, but I played sort of amateur football and just again broke my leg twice and <laughs> I, I broke my leg got back broke it again and then broke my elbow which was a, another injury that came me out for a long time and then by then it's like look I'm gonna have to go and get a job in journalism because uh, you know <laughs> I'm scraping scraping a living I mean I loved it like Gwen the guy I work with he coached the elite youth setup and all those kids that we were coaching are now some of them are professional footballers. So one of the lads was Jack Wilshire. Right. Uh, he was, I think, God, he must have been, I'd probably say six at the time. So what's that? That would make him, yeah, he's about 27 now, 28. Through some of the magazines and the podcasts, we've seen adverts for the, the soccer school inspired by the Curver Method. So the, the one you were involved with, was it the one with Charlie Cook? Yes. Yeah. So Charlie was the big boss. Charlie right. Cook was the big boss. And Alfred Galustian as well. And yeah. 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 That's right. So he used to come and do our coaching seminars. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I came very close, actually. Me and my wife very nearly emigrated to America because Gwen had said, go and work with Charlie. And because of the Scottish connection, yeah. I really yeah. fancied it. You know, I really, really fancied it. And hadn't I got injured, I think I probably would have done that. But Charlie was brilliant. What a great coach. And the kids just adored him. And the method was brilliant. It'll always stick with me. You know, it was all ball mastery and ball control about replicating the skills of the players you love, like Cruyff turns, Maradona's. And actually, like, coaching the kids and doing it every day, like, my touch got much better and <laughs> my coordination and all that. But it was, it was brilliant. And it's still going strong. My son now goes to cover coaching. I think John Collins is one of the main guys behind it in Scotland. Right, OK. Yeah, as I say, there's there's quite a lot of adverts for it. Um, there was even one where I think they had a, almost a double-page spread for, for yeah. it as well. So there is quite a bit of um, stuff through the magazines for it. So it was very interesting to find out if it was the same one that you were involved with. So, so Gordon, another question uh, I ask of I guess occasionally: If you had been a professional footballer, what would your ideal career trajectory have been? I would have liked to have been a legend at Cowden Beef. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was probably the level. I, I, if, if I'm honest, is probably the best I would have got to. So, if, if I could have made it, it would have been part-time lower league Scottish football. I would have been thrilled with that. I would have been absolutely yeah. delighted to be like a 400 professional appearances for one club. I'd have loved to have been a one club man, you know. I mean, obviously, my dream would have been to captain Hibbs at Easter Road and beat Hearts in a derby, scoring the winner with a header from about 12 yards, you know, over Henry Smith as he floundered around. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one that's played over in my head a few times, but... Um, yeah, I mean, that, that would have been my dream, you know, just being a, a one-club man, honourable, respected by your your fellow players and by the fans. So, so taking the Blue Brazil to Scottish Cup semi-final would have been yeah. sufficient for you? Yeah, yeah I like Cup that. run. Good yeah. cup Never run. needing to buy a drink in Cowden Beef ever again. <laughs> and wee jimmies. Just sitting in wee jimmies, yeah. telling <laughs> stories about the time that I'd <laughs> taken out John Hughes. <laughs> Brilliant. Listen, we'll, we'll jump back into the magazine just now. So we're on page 15. You might have to crick your neck here. So this is a Wolves team photo. So at the top of the, the page, it has a text Wolves. And the background, has I think it's a close-up of the shirt, isn't it? So it's got the Buckter sponsor on one side, which you'll be familiar with Buckter as a sponsor. And the Wolves badge on the other side. There's also a club call number. So 36 pence uh, for, for normal rate and 48 pence for, well, 36 pence cheap rate, 48 pence for normal rate. The back... Second from the left is Mark Venus, who signed for Hibs in 2004 as assistant to Tony Mowbray. But he also yeah. registered as a player, and he, I think he played one game at Hibs back then as well. To yeah. Tony Bennett is a middle row, fourth from the left. Uh, he's a Scottish midfielder who was born in Bowness, and he played for his local team, Gairdock United, before spending the vast majority of his career in England from 87 through to 2005, when he joined Hamilton Ackies. Played just one league game, um, three in total, but injury led him to retire from the game. And he's now a, a vocalist in the Stockport-based rock band called Fracture. So there we go. That's to Tony Bennett. I don't know if they're a, you know, a well. I mean, I'm sure they're well known in the Stockport scene. Fracture. Yeah. So, yeah. Is this not? Did we not touch on this before? Was it not a physio that is in the band? I don't know. I don't know. Look it up. I'm sure it's a, it's a club physiotherapist that started the band. Um, maybe. 
You, you look that up while I'm going through my, my last little <laughs> nugget information here. <laughs> so and, Andy Thompson, first on the left in the front row is another Scot. So this time he's a full back from Glasgow. He spent all his career in England, predominantly with Wills, and he was actually inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2017. So again, I, I touched on this before, and I'm going to mention it again, because Andy Thompson is not a player that I really know of. Um, he is a Scot. He's played at Wolves for sufficiently enough time that he's probably a bit of a legend there, Hall of Famer. And, you know, I sometimes feel a bit sad that I don't know more or we don't know more about these players who, you know, you're talking about the ideal trajectory and if you were a legend at Cowdenbeath. I mean, it's a, it's a legend there, but outside that, you know, very few people probably know about it. And, I, and as I say, I just find that sad that certain players contribute so much to you know what fans love about their club and it's not yeah. really known outside it do you know what I mean i tell you what's quite interesting you know I spent what's that now pretty much 20 years on and off living in England and that, that universal language of football if you meet a football fan of any other club there's this moment I don't know if you do the same as me the first two minutes of the conversation is what Scottish footballer do I know that played for your club? You know, so I've got mates who are a guy called John Dawkins, who's a music manager, and he's a Coventry fan. And every time I see him, he's like, right, come on, let's go through the list. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, we'll, we'll have a half-hour conversation about Ian Jess. Um, but I, I love that as the, the opening conversation. And again, like through my job, got pally with lads from Leicester. And it was a great way to bond with people you've never met before. Yeah. Like I remember, I remember interviewing a band once uh, in Los Angeles and the, the keyboard player was from Huddersfield and he sat down and before we'd start the interview, he said, right, here's my start and a living of the greatest Scottish footballers of all time. <laughs> and I remember getting a tap on the shoulder from like a manager saying, can you mind, do you mind asking some questions about music? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I get that. I mean, I, I love doing, I love doing near leads, so... Obviously, I've got a lot of Scottish players to pick from from the Leeds team, so you know. But yeah, in terms of it being the universal language, it's how I started meeting people down here. Is you would go play five aside, you play eleven sides, and that's you know how a lot of us do when we move away from home. We end up socialising with people. So absolutely, yeah. it's funny you mentioned about Leeds. You know, like I've got such a big affinity with Leeds because of Vinny as well. You mm. know. He speaks so fondly of his time there. And when he launched the book, we did it at Ellen Road, actually. Right. We did a big signing at Ellen Road. And it was it, it means a lot to me. And I, I don't think I've ever really talked about this before, but in Kinross, where I grew up, that's where Don Revy uh, passed away. He, he lived the last years of his life. And um, I remember our football manager, Dave Moody, he was from Oldham, our manager. And he said, you know, one day, boys, you'll appreciate that old guy that comes to watch you on the sidelines. And he was in a wheelchair, I think, quite a lot of the time. People realised that you were watched by one of the greatest men in football. And, and we were all, yeah, whatever, who's that old guy? But what an incredible thing. And, and actually, years later, I met his son, Duncan Revy. And uh, he said that he used to come with his dad to watch us play when we were wee boys at Kinross Coats. Yeah. So like going to see his statue outside the ground and then spend all that time around Leeds fans who talk so affectionately about Strachan and McAllister and then go back to Billy Bremner and all the boys of that era as well. It's just, it's fantastic, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to move on to page 20, and this is this is the good stuff we're getting. Sorry, I was just going to uh, jump in there, yeah. Um, uh, Fracture was formed by Roger, Roger Wilde, who was a physiotherapist at Stockport. 
along with Stockport player Tom Bennett, who was recovering from a severe break to his leg at the time. And they they, they both learned the guitar while he was uh, while he was recovering from his injury. <laughs> oh, well, I, I, I wonder what they've done during the lockdown. Then, if they can if they can do that during a leg break, then who knows? I got I got when I broke my leg, I got really good at playing darts. <laughs> right, we're, as I'm saying, we're, we're on to the good stuff now, Gordon. So we're on to, here we go, page 20. And it says, congratulations, Hibs, Skull Cup winners, 1991. So shoot, take a page out of their, their big magazine. They take one page to pay tribute to Hibs, who have just won the Skull Cup final against Unfermline Athletic. The, the article says it's 19 years since Hibs were celebrating a trophy success, but that long wait is finally over after they swept aside Dunfermline in the Skull Cup final. A crowd of 40,000 saw goals from Tommy McIntyre and Keith Wright give the High Bs victory. For all you Hibs fans who weren't at Hamden, here's what you missed. And so it's one, two, three, four different photographs. The first photograph is of Keith Wright as he coolly slots the ball past Andy Rhodes in the Pars goal as he sealed the victory with Hibs second. The main photo is Tom McIntyre as he strikes the ball from a penalty spot for the first. The next photo shows Pat McGinley controlling the play in midfield as a Dunfermline player struggles to get close to him. And the final photo in the set shows the Hibs team group after the game as they are celebrating with the trophy. Murdo McLeod is the man in possession of the cup. Just as a wee note here, I say the Hibs have just come through a turbulent period at this point when there was a takeover bid by Wallace Mercer which threatened their very existence so it was quite a turbulent period for, for Hibs and it was later revealed that Murdo McLeod had bet on Hibs winning this trophy that year uh, Hibs would finish 5th in the league this season so yeah the Murdo McLeod thing so he, he, he bet that they were going to win the trophy that year you wouldn't really share that information nowadays would you? So just on, on the way to the final, uh, Hibs uh, beat Stirling Albion 3-0 in the second round. They beat Kamarnock 3-2 in the third round, 2-0 against Air United in the quarter-final, and they beat Rangers 1-0 in the semi-final. Let's face it, up to the same, it was a pretty easy path for you there, wasn't it, Gordon? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, listen, we won it. Yeah. Actually, actually, um, I, I watched the highlights of it again pretty recently, and I thought... The, the general way the game went was Hibs seemed to... They, they, they were total control, um, went ahead, and then maybe Dunfermline came in and a little bit, had a few really good chances, um, but they, they put it to bed. I mean, the, the great great finish by uh, Keith Wright it was as well. And the, the, the penalty, I think he sent them the wrong way uh, in the penalty as well. Just nice and... I mean, you can see from that photograph the, the, the form... Going back to your your, your coaching, you know the just the, you can see from that the the form of the player, great technique. It's a beautiful beautiful strip as well. It's just such a cracking strip that as well, isn't it? Just like mm. really classic Adidas, the green three stripes, no sponsor as well. Just a beautiful strip. This was a this was the one that the away strip was the sort of inverse of that. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I, I've tried to buy one recently from uh, there's a guy called Hibs Retro. Yeah. Uh, which is a brilliant site. I think they bid up to like 580 quid. Mm. And in lockdown, it probably wasn't a, what I'd describe as a, a sensible, sensible yeah, bit of yeah. spending, yeah. considering I've been off my work since March. But um, mm. I was so tempted to sell one of the kits and buy it. There's a there's a team photo from, I guess it's from this period as well. And I don't know if you recall this, but it's that strip. But 
the the players have all the same strip, but it's obvious that some of them are maybe from the previous season because they, they look a bit more washed than the other one. So so half of them have got it looks as though it's you know seen a, a, a hot wash a lot more than the other ones. But yeah, you're absolutely spot on. It's it's absolutely great kit. Even though even though you know the because the the green bit on it. I don't know what the pattern was. It was just sort of um, flex, not not flex. Was it blocks or something? Yes. So you know, just normally that might not work, but I think that that works perfectly. Absolutely. We'll keep an eye open for the for the the away strip for you as well. So how 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 does this final how how does this work in your household? Well, I was too, I was too young, right? So I would have been ten, I think, when that cup final happened. Maybe just turned eleven. Yeah, probably 10. Mm. But my big brother was 14. And I remember there being, I remember him being pretty unhappy. He didn't get to go. Yeah. Um, so it was a few, it was probably about the year after I started going Easter Road with my big brother. So I'd have been 11 or 12 and he started taking me. And it was that pretty much that team. You know, my earliest memories of Hibs mm-hmm. were that team. You know, Mickey Weir, it was absolutely incredible. I just loved him. And Keith Wright, Gareth Evans as well. Yeah. Pat McGinley was a brilliant player. Um, and I, I just remember early on seeing Budgie doing you know handstands walking around the eighteen yard box. So as a young lad going to see that, and also like you got to remember like Easter Road was a fairly lively place to go um, when you were a young lad, especially because we had to travel through from Kinross. So we'd quite often find ourselves terrified on a train surrounded by Aberdeen casuals on their way through to uh, play some other team somewhere else. You know, and we'd be stuck on the bus, you know, terrified. Mm. I'm quite a few occasions getting caught up in it, but um, yeah, that was that. I just have a lot of fondness for that era of Hibs. A lot. Of, I seem to remember there being quite a lot of anger towards Alec Miller towards the end of his managerial career at Hibs, you know, for being boring. But you know, there's some really good young players coming through as well. So Kevin Harper, I remember him emerging around just after that '92, '93, maybe. Mm-hmm. Some good young lads. So in terms of you, you, got, you touched on starting to go to the games there who, who would you go with who would take you to the games would it be the same people you would go with with your brother or would you go with your dad ah, he was my big brother Graham so he's three years older than me and yeah he, he'd start taking me through so we'd get the bus through from Kinross to the home games and he got his season ticket but then we what we would do is I would quite often go in the famous five stand before it was done up so yeah the first the first experience we're always in the family stand but then we started going to a lot of the away games as well, which <laughs> my mum would be horrified if she knew <laughs> half of it, really. But we, um, there was a guy we were really friendly with called Graham Douglas. And Graham's dad was a, a referee. You'll probably remember who he was. I can't remember his first name. Um, yeah, Graham Douglas's dad, he was like a referee and a linesman in Scottish football, quite a well-known guy. And he was from Dundee. But Graham was a big Hibs fan, so he used to sort of take us around the country which was, again, if my mum and dad knew the half of it, so dangerous because he was wild, Graham. Yeah. Uh, he was called Stan. His nickname was Stan, and he was just a bit of a, a character, really. But, yeah, they, they were my... Most of the 90s, you know, when I wasn't playing, we'd, we'd travel through and, and see Hibs all over. And remember the season we were relegated, we went to a lot of the games in the first division. So, you know, got a chance to go to Stranraer and up and down the country to places we'd never been before. So got to visit a lot of the grounds. It was yeah. good. So how how is this victory remembered amongst Hibs fans? Um, obviously, the the recent Scottish Cup final victory is it's more recent and it probably means more. But how how does this one rank amongst the the Hibs fans? It's funny. Well, I know Skull for a brand loyalty to crap lager for the rest of my life. <laughs> so 
it definitely affected an 11 year old boy <laughs> um, but i think oh it's a big one because like like it says in the article i think it had been 19 years yeah. hasn't it since we'd won a trophy yeah um other than the tenant soccer sixes i think mm. it was our only bit of silverware yeah. and I, I, don't, I mean i remember the soccer sixes because we were obsessed with it we absolutely loved it yeah. uh, i remember it specifically because hibs were a game was stopped for ungentlemanly conduct. I remember that. For sort remember of that? Time wasting, but they were just sort of passing the ball about. Aye, passing yeah, it back. Andy yeah, Gorham, yeah. Andy Gorham would roll it to um, John Collins and back. I'd put that team being pretty special. Yeah, mm. that would have been the that would have been round about the same sort of period as well. Yeah, yeah, been, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. so. Okay. We'll move on from that one. We're going to page 23 here. So it's again another advert and it's Sports Shoes Unlimited. So we can't pass this one by without having a look at it. So it's a pre-Xmas sale from the largest sports shoe retail outlet in the world. And there's a selection of trainers and football boots. There's Reebok, Adidas. Oh, I've done it. Adidas. I I'd, I'd always, always promised myself I'm not going to say Adidas. Adidas, Nike trainers and pumps. In fact, other than the Adidas Penarol stud boots and the Adidas Strata Turf or Astro, the others are all trainers. So there's actually only two pairs of football boots there. And I'd, I'll be perfectly honest, I look at those and nothing really takes my fancy, even the, the Penarol. The Penarols maybe, but nothing else is really... Maybe these Reebok Rapid, I don't know. I'm just... If I had a gun to my head, then then those, you know, it's the same. Take, take a pair of these, then I'd probably go for the Rapids, but... Anybody fancy any of them? Yeah, definitely. I'd have both those pairs of Adidas Torsions right now. Right now. Absolute beauties. I remember the Sports Shoes Unlimited so well. I remember like crying at the house, going back to my childhood, like desperately begging my mum and dad to get a pair of Nike Air Max, and they just wouldn't have it. They, I remember once getting a pair of LA gear and getting hammered for them. Because uh, I'd, I'd promised everybody I was going to get a pair of Nike Air Max, but yeah, they're beauties, mm. torsions. Okay, moving on to page 24. So this is a competition and it's Get It Taped. Three of the World Cup's greatest ever games are up for grabs in another unbeatable shoot competition. So the games that are up for grabs are the 1982 West Germany versus France game, the 1986 France versus Brazil game, in the 1990 England versus West Germany game. I think, Tom, you said the England-West Germany game was one of the best games of football you've ever seen, is that right? One of the most exciting games of, sort of live football I've watched in the, in the telly, aye. Mm. Uh, two England-West Germany semi-finals, two England-Germany, uh, 90 and 96. Yeah. And that, uh, we, that West Germany game, France, that would have been the Schumacher-Battiston one? Yeah, uh, again, I remember, remember that game. Uh, most of the one each after 90 minutes and it was three each after extra time mm. so it says that there are 25 prizes of the three games to give away you call the hotline of course you call the hotline and answer the question who the fact there we go who was the West German goalkeeper whose infamous foul overshadowed his side's 1982 penalty win over the French if you win that you get the three three videos anybody want to go for it yeah okay it was obviously Schumacher Schumacher Yep. So moving on to pages 26 and 27. So there's actually this process extra time stuff, but we'll come back to that. So the 26 and 27 is a centre spread and it's Sheffield United team photo. Now, the first thing I think when I see this team photo is, look at the kit. The kit is it's not the greatest in the world, is it really? I like the away strip. Yeah, the, the away strip, yeah, it is, it is nice. But the, the, the home strip sort of looks like a Sunday League amateur. 
strip, if I'm being perfectly honest. Even if I was lying, I'd say that as well. But um, it's it's pretty busy. The, the There's like red and white stripes and they're quite thin. But there's also then within the white stripes, there's a, a blue or black stripe down the middle of that. And it's, I think there's just a lot going on. And this comes back to what I said earlier on. It's getting to the period where the amount of material in kits seem to double in size. For me, it's an umbral kit and falls below what you'd expect from it. Even the socks, the 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 umbral. How can you ruin umbral diamonds? And they're ruining it at the top of there. You know, it's it's like it's with two umbral diamonds all wrapped round the sock, rather than it being smaller diamonds that you know come round. Yeah, I, I don't like this at all. You might be able to sense that. Um, the majority of the front row and probably the others are wearing high tech boots, while Tommy Cowan at the end is wearing arrow boots. By the looks of it, there. You know, there's a few different, um, not normal, not regular boots going on there. The management team are wearing the away kit, which, as Tom says, is so much better than the home one. Yellow shirt, red socks, red shorts, and yellow diamonds. The shirt is quite plain with a red collar. There's a couple of strips on the arm, or stripes, strips, I don't know. The sponsor logo looks... So that's the thing about the home kit as well. It's got a, a yellow logo, a yellow box logo with, with lever on it. And it just looks as though it's been an afterthought. Like, okay, listen, we've got these, just stick it on that strip. Whereas with the, the yellow away one, it actually blends right into it. So it's, it's just incredible that one works so well and the other one is just... I'm sorry, I'm going to say it again. It's an absolute mess. Anybody want to <laughs> correct me on that? Are we yeah. all happy about that? No, you're right. It's a shocker. It is a shocker. Was this not the same strip that... Did Sean Bean not star in a film about Sheffield United around this time? Yeah, well, it was when Saturday Comes, I think it was called. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it, does, it does sort of put me in mind of the, the clips I've seen of that, so you might be right. That, that'll be one for us to check out for the, for the website that goes with the show when we do that. There's quite an interesting connection here. We were talking about Vinnie Jones. The two people here, Dave Bassett was massive in Vinnie's career, you know, gave him his big break, I think, and also signed him, I think, twice or three times maybe in his career. But also that you, an unusual person to point out, uh, middle row, left-hand side, the physio is Derek French. Now, Derek French was the physio for the crazy gang. Right. Um, <laughs> and he's a, he's a little guy, but he's a very, very funny man. And uh, some of the stories that involve him and the crazy gang are absolutely brilliant. I'll give you one very quickly. Frenchie was notorious for being quite tight. So Wimbledon were on their way to play a pre-season friendly in Scandinavia. And I think they got the ferry from Hull across uh, maybe Zabruga and then from Zabruga they went all up into Scandinavia on a tour. And they got Frenchie, Dennis Wise, uh, there'll be Dennis Wise, Vinny and Wally Downs and he dangled them over the edge of the, the ferry and all his money fell out his pockets right <laughs> but I think I remember this correctly I think they might have dropped them in the North Sea Oof. and he had to be, he had to be rescued <laughs> you know it was one of those things if he'd been in the sea another five minutes he'd have died <laughs> but it's like you know, these daft jokes that could have gone so horribly horribly wrong but um, when we did the book launch at Elland Road Frenchie came along and I just, what a great crack, what a brilliant character. And you speak to any footballer of this era that would have played in any of those teams, Frenchie is a much-loved man and a real character. Yeah, nice one. So I'm, I'm going to pick out another couple. Um, so Ian Bryson, who's the back row, first left, he started at Kilmarnock. 
He played 215 league games there, scoring 40 goals between 81 and 88. Then he moved to Sheffield United. He was there till 93. Uh, spell at Barnsley, Preston North End and then Rochdale. So other players to pick out as well. As you mentioned, Dave Bassett. There's Clive Mendonkas in there. Brian Dean, names that we, we all know. And the one I mentioned with the Arrow Boots is Tommy Cowan. Now, Tommy played at Clyde before playing at Rangers for a spell before then moving to Sheffield United. So he played at Clyde 88-89 and 89-91 for Rangers. So I'm assuming he would have been a a Sooners signing back then as well. And he's he's played all the way, quite a few different teams, Huddersfield, Burnley, York City, came back, played five league games for Dundee in 2003 and then back down south, Carlisle United, Barrow. So there's quite a few game teams that he's went to there. So, yeah, we'd like to pick out a couple of players from there. But, yeah, the Derek French, definitely a good one. We'll, we'll try and get some more information on him for for later on. Pages 28 to 30. So this is a, the the three three pages of the Pro Set Extra Time results and league tables. I'm going to look at these ones. So I'm just going to pick out some some results from these. So Saturday, November the 2nd, the B&Q Scottish Premier League. Aberdeen nil, Dundee United 1, goal from McAnally. Hibs won, Hearts won, so we've got the, the derby here. Goal from Wright after 26 minutes and Robertson after 4 minutes. And it was in front of 18,500 fans at, at Easter Road. Uh, Wright was the star man for Hibs and Robertson the star man for Hearts. Well, both of them scored, so... The other game, Rangers won, Celtic won, McCoyst and Cascarino. So Tony Cascarino gets a goal in there. St Johnson 3, Dunfermline 2 as well. First division, we have Air United 0, Kamarnock 3. Tommy Burns was on the score score sheet for Kelly there. Clydebank 3, Morton 1. Goals from Wright, McIntosh and Henry. Top scorers in the Premier League. Uh, Alan McCoy is on 12, Charlie Nicholas 11, Tommy Coyne on 9, Duncan Ferguson on 7 and your man Mickey Weir's on 7 as well. Hearts are top of the league at this point. So 15 games gone, 24 points on the table, 2 points for a win. Uh, Rangers and Aberdeen both in 23, Celtic in 21, and then Hibs on 19. So uh, I've mentioned this before, that looking at these results and the scorers and things like that, it's, it's nice just to look back at them sometimes and just try and you know, think in your head from the details there, how, how games have went. With, you know, obviously you can't do it to a great detail, but I think you can, you can have a bit of fun doing that. Just across the page is this full advert for Pro Set player cards. So I don't know. I don't know if you would have collected any of these, but the advert shows a number of the the cards that are in the set, along with two unopened packets. Uh, there's also a couple of photographs of the display cases that they would have came in, been displayed in the shops with, and it says as collected by the England football team. So that that's their their hook. Uh, the cards here are specifically for the English leads, but there was a separate set of cards for the Scottish Premier Division. So would regarding this, Gordon, what what did you would you have collected cards, stickers as a as a as a wee boy? Yeah, we did. Yeah, my, me and my brother would do that. I mean, he was a little bit more diligent about stuff like that. <laughs> um, but I think in Shoot Magazine every year, you used to get a fixtures thing with a little card for yeah. each of the the clubs, and then you'd be able to keep your league table, move them up and down. I remember doing that until it got dog-eared and fell apart. But <laughs> we were yeah, big collectors of the Panini sticker, sticker albums. Mm. So I remember World Cup 90 specifically, yeah. really getting into it that year um, and getting the foils, the foil ones, you know. And, uh, oh God, yeah, doublers in the playground where you'd, you'd swap them with your pals. But 
Yeah, we were we were big collectors and that probably I'm trying to think of the last time we did it. I mean, if you think about it, World Cup '98 was the last time we were at a major tournament. Not need to remind any Scotland fans, but <laughs> by '18, I'd kind of grown out of it then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think probably the last one we did was it Sweden, was it? Um, when would it was, when, when, when would it have been? France, France '98. Well, we didn't do '94, did we? We didn't do um, World yeah. Cup '94. Yeah, the the USA was the one we missed, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I'd stopped collecting the stickers. Probably the, the last set of stickers I remember collecting were probably Mexico 86. Uh, after yeah. that, you know, other other things, other priorities or just lack of cash or something like that. You know, before then, I've, I've got I've got three brothers and a sister, so my mum and dad could, could get the sticker albums and sticker, you know, give us some money as a group and we could get it. But I think as you get older, you sort of start having different interests and it's like, well, I don't want us all to get stickers. I want to go a little way. So that's maybe why that stopped then. But yeah, 86. But I've, I've, I've got these these cards now. Um, I've actually got one and another. I don't know if you know, I mean, you're friends with, with Paul Smolnitsky and um, it's not these ones, but I've got an older set from an older unopened packet from 1980 and it's so it's still got the chewing gum in it chewing gum in it yeah yeah, yeah. so so paul and i have, have we've, we've got this pack that we're going to do we'll get another packet of something with chewing gum in it and we're going to do a live opening <laughs> and eating of the chewing gum so we'll, we'll do that obviously with medical assistance on hand just in case because I'm, I'm fascinated yeah. to know I'm fascinated to know if the taste is there. I know, I know the smell's not there because you you can smell it through the packet. But I'm fascinated to know if that that chewing gum, which is probably you know some chemical that would be banned nowadays, if it still retains the taste or if it just crumbles into <laughs> dust in your mouth. There's only one way to find out, isn't there? <laughs> There's only one way to find yeah. out. And we've got we've got yeah, and we've got to do it. We've got to do that live as well, just for obvious reasons that. You know, maybe nobody left to actually edit it and send it out afterwards. So moving on to page thirty-two. So that page thirty-two and thirty-three. So this is called blah 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 blah, and it's just little. It's gossip. The gossip column, which you'll be more familiar with, doing the the showbiz gossip. Was it you did, Gordon? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So all the gossip, soccer gossip from football's number one team, and we'll just pick a few out again. So Totten urges right. Uh, and it's a photo of Paul Wright in action for St. Johnson against Aberdeen's Brian Irvin. And St. Johnson boss Alex Totten has urged record by Paul Wright to do a robo and be a Scotland star. It says Wright was signed for £285,000 from Hibs in the summer and has come under fire for failing to live up to his pre-season billing. Totten has urged him to follow the example of Hearts star John Robertson who has rocketed into the Scotland squad after recapturing his goal-scoring form. Now, Totten says, People were writing Robertson off when he was struggling at Newcastle. There's no reason why Paul can't do the same. So just as a wee spoiler, Wright played for Saints between 91 and 95, and he played 112 league games and scored 40 goals. He then moved to Kilmarnock, where he played 148 league games, scoring 58 times, and had short spells after that at Falkirk and Morton. Paul Wright, do you remember... Remember him from from Hibs? I do actually. I actually remember him uh, playing at St Johnston because we grew up just down the road from Perth, so we actually ended up seeing quite a bit of St Johnston. I remember like we had to, you know, every now and again, my team would do halftime penalties at McDermott Park, 
because I think that's just when St Johnson moved from North Muir in their old ground to McDermott Park. He signed. He was a good player, actually, a really good player. Yeah. I think I was at a game, Hibs St Johnston, when he broke his leg. Um, but that's a, a recollection from the nineties. But yeah, that was. Um, yeah, I do remember remember him very well. And actually, there's this, another story about St Johnston. You see that one at the bottom um, about Sergei Baltacha. Mm-hmm. So when I was coming through playing football again, 1990-91, we played an age group up with Kinross Colts and we used to get pumped by this team called Oak Bank and their star striker was Sergi Baltaccio Jr. So that was Sergi's son uh, and he was absolutely brilliant. What a player he was. Um, but I remember, you know, when we were playing against him, all sorts of scouts from all over Europe were coming to see him. He was that good. Because um, I think he had his dad had come from Ipswich, Ipswich. and he was captain of the USSR, as it would have been then. Yeah. yeah. And his sister, Elena, was a... Gosh, Elena passed away as well, didn't she? She was a tennis player. Yeah, yeah I, th- I think Sergi Junior, I think he played for a youth team or something in Ipswich, and he scored over 100 goals, if I remember, in a couple yeah. of seasons, or a, just over a season, so... Ended up playing for St Mirren, Scotland, Scotland under 21s, I think. He got a cap. Yeah, and Millwall. Yeah, St Mirren and Millwall, I think, were his teams, yeah. Yeah. So, just coming back to, again... There's quite a few Scottish connections in here. The next one, Hay in Trouble. So St Mirren boss David Hay is in trouble with the Scottish PFA after threatening to withhold his players' wages following their 5-0 defeat by Celtic. PFA Secretary Tony Higgins said, There have been similar threats before, but none have been carried out and we would fight very strongly for the players. Whether a player receives his basic wage should not rely on the whim of a manager. These guys are just on a living wage and need all they can get. It's a fair point, I think, from Tony Higgins there. Uh, but but I think I think if uh, David Hay, you know, withdrew funds any time a team was beaten five 0 by Celtic, there would be a a few poor footballers <laughs> out there. George Best comeback. So George Best is set to make another comeback, but this time it will be strictly in the role of advisor to Dublin club St Patrick's Athletic. And the Irish club is planning to celebrate another golden return to their old ground at Richmond Park before the end of the season. Uh, here, here's one for you here. So Vinny for Ireland. Vinny Jones has declared, or so we are led to believe, that he would love to launch his international career with the Republic of Ireland. This is footballer for sale, isn't it? Uh, but I, era boss Jack Charlton announced, we need Vinny Jones, like we need a hole in the head. <laughs> so... Brilliant. So yeah, he's, he's you know I don't think he was initially that bothered to he played for internationally was he? It was just yeah I'll, I'll I'll play for whoever take me, but um yeah Jack Shelton didn't want him. Shelton makes peace. So Peter Shelton has made peace with fans at Derby County who jeered him earlier in the season and has withdrawn his threat to walk out of the club. Uh, the more you hear about Peter Shelton there. No. Covered himself in glory recently, isn't he? Oh, yeah, I know. It's crazy, crazy. English hooligans. So it says that it seems that the reputation of the English football fan has changed little on the continent. Man United's visit to Madrid for a Cup Winners' Cup clash with Atletico prompted one Spanish newspaper to warn of thousands of uncontrolled hooligans. Now, shoot points to the fact that there were only 1,500 United fans in Madrid and not one arrest. And as we said, the as you pointed about the Sergei Baltacha testimony, it says St. Johnson are set to give him a testimonial. Testimonials are normally granted to long-serving players, but the game, planned for August 1992, was agreed as part of the package that lured Baltacha from Ipswich on a free transfer. 
He then goes through a list of some of the players he has to choose from. It's Theo Schnelders, Guido van de Kamp, Luke Nyholt, Ole Kuznetsov. So there's a whole host of players there. Now, actually, I, I checked up with, with some of the, the guys on Twitter who are big St. Johnson fans, and they don't think this game took place. So they don't think he had a testimonial. So we couldn't find any record of that actually happening. Uh, but, you know, he, he, he ended up staying in Scotland and made a life here and enjoyed his time here, didn't he? Um, David Holdsworth. So Everton are on the trail of David Holdsworth, twin brother of Dean, now that he's back in action after a leg break. So as a wee spoiler, David would stay at Watford until 95 before moving to Sheffield United in Birmingham. He later moved to Gretna, where he played 32 league games before retiring and becoming reserve team coach. Personal view, so there's a personal view section here. Shoot discusses the different types of people that go to football. They talk about the hardcore who do it possibly out of tradition and the corporate bunch who have it comfortable with their egg and cress sandwiches. So that's a long before the prawn sandwiches came in. Uh, they suggest that the new imminent Super League needs to look at the middle ground supporters who want comfort, safety and an affordable experience. It's a lot to lot to digest in there. Uh, <laughs> I love that, Vinny. Jack Charles <laughs> obviously passing away this yeah, week. Yes. It's a terrible thing, but there are so many, so many funny stories. That quote is brilliant, isn't it? We need Vinny Jones like we need a hole in the head. <laughs> I'm gonna send, I'm gonna take a picture of that and send it to Vinny actually. I'll 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 get I'll get you a copy of that, but let me find yeah. it. Um there was another there's another one that I'm gonna quote you from Jimmy Greaves absolutely rips into him. So let me just find out which one that was. I played with Dean Holdsworth a couple of times, actually, in my towards the end of, well, right at the end of his career. We, I played in a testimonial match at um, Selhurst Park. It was a Mark Bright and Ian Wright game, and they had like a, a team of Crystal Palace legends against a team of sort of Z-less celebrities like me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how I qualified for it. But, um, I played centre-half with Ralph Little, and Dean Holdsworth and Lee Sharp played up front. We had Mickey Thomas in midfield. Um, who else played? I was, it was a, their team was brilliant. You know, they had Tim Flowers in goal, Eric Young at centre half, Attilio Lombardo, Mark Wright, Ian Wright, um, Dougie Friedman played for them, and Clinton Morrison. Uh, it was uh, Alan Pardew, and again I, I had a little set too with Alan Pardew. <laughs> but um, I tell you, Dean Holdsworth, what a what a player he was. I like, even. Right at the end of his career, he was just a mischief, proper mischief. And if he got on the half turn, he would hit the target or put it in the top corner every time. It was brilliant to watch. What the could, could you feel it when you, you were on the pitch with these guys? Could you just sort of feel that these guys have got sort of ability or spatial awareness kind of yeah, thing? Yeah. Could you immediately feel that these guys are so much better than me? It's, it's amazing. Yeah, there's there's something just that makes you realise you would never have been good enough. Like yeah. in the second half, Clinton Morris and Dougie Friedman played up front and they were still playing at that point. So Dougie Friedman was still at Palace. And it was just, I loved it. I loved every second of it because he, just all the little cheeky tricks he'd have, like he'd just start talking to you to make you just divert your attention. The next thing he was, he's away somewhere, <laughs> you know? But um, all the dirty tricks as well and all that kind of stuff. But I think Attilio Lombardo, even though he's probably the unfittest person there, was still the best. Yeah. It's like Gaza and guys like that, isn't it? It doesn't matter. They've just got this magic. Never lose it. Yeah. So so this this one I was talking about, this is from the 25th of February, 1989, and it's the letter pages. And it's a star letter, and it's from Adam Lloyd of Spencer Place in Edinburgh. And he writes, 
Although Vinnie Jones must learn to control himself, the real villain of his sending off at Everton was Kevin Radcliffe, who is hardly touched, yet went down as if he'd been shot. Now Greavesley replies, Whether or not Radcliffe made a meal of it is irrelevant. Jones should have been sent off for his initial foul on Graham Sharp. Now he then rips into Vinnie here, he says, It's now reached the stage where he shouldn't be playing professional football because he simply isn't good enough. He thinks he's a hard man, but I don't think he has a bottle to make an honest tackle. He never goes in for a 50-50 ball. He waits until the odds are 70-30 in his favour, and that's a coward's way. Wimbledon have allowed him to get away with murder for far too long. <laughs> that's Jimmy Greaves isn't holding back there at all, is he? That's incredible, incredible. I'll send you that one on as well. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to enrage Vinny too much, though. Uh, he's, he's a different man now. Different yeah. man now. <laughs> Brilliant. Right, okay, let's have a wee... Pages 36 and 37, I was just going to have a quick look at some of the adverts. Uh, so this is, again, you know, I keep pointing to that we do speak about the same things quite a bit. But in the classified adverts, just where it says research on the left-hand page there, uh, it says, we've spoken about this, well, we've spoken about this before, but it has an advert that says, missing certain match reports, question mark. And the advert says, I can locate those newspaper write-ups that you require, whether it be Football League, International, Cup, Non-League or Pre-War. If it was written about in the paper, then I can find it for you. Price dependent on depth of research undertaken. Good rates for runs on a single club. Efficient personal service. I just love that idea that Everything's available at the, the click of a button in a, a Google search nowadays, but you know there was a guy advertising his services to go away to the local library or one of the big libraries in the city and look through the films and take photocopies and things like that, and I just, I just love that. It's... Do you know what? So up, up until about 2008, when I worked in newspapers, we had an actual library department, you know? Mm. So I'd ring up and say, I'm writing an interview with Robbie Williams. Can I have the cuttings, please? And a guy from the library had come up with a massive like file full of all the interviews he'd done and articles that had been written about him. And, you, you know, you could pick out the most ridiculous stuff and they would come up with the goods. You know, I'm going to write about Iron Brew in 1972 and they'd bring something up for you. Mm, excellent. So page 39 and it's Join the Nike Club. So this is a full page advert for Nike Club. And it includes a black and white photo of Ian Rush with the heading... What does it take to join the same club as Ian Rush? Question mark. Well, it's actually about £6.99 is their answer, including VAT. When Ian Rush isn't wearing his Liverpool shirt, he's wearing ours, the Nike Club t-shirt. It's exclusive to members of the fastest growing sports club in the world. They also get three issues of our magazine, Swoosh, every year. Not only that, their £6.99 also covers a full three years membership. So there's a coupon to fill in there and send away. Not anything I'd be too too interested in that. If I'm being perfectly honest, I'd rather spend my £6.99 on something else. Uh, page 40, and we're, we're at the secret side of Warren Barton of Wimbledon. And it, it's basically the, the football focus uh, equivalent at the time. So let's just pick out some of So his name's Warren Dean Barton, and he drives... A Saab 900i means nothing to me. And he's keen on tennis and golf. And he said, the best match you've ever seen was a Holland and West Germany in the 74 World Cup final. Who did you support as a boy and who was your childhood hero? He was a national supporter and Liam Brady was his hero. What has been the most embarrassing moment of your career? 
when I walked into the ladies' toilet in the sponsor's lounge at Wimbledon. Fair enough. What is your fondest wish? Um, which I, f I find a very peculiarly worded question, that. What is your fondest wish? To have a happy and healthy life and be very successful in football. Favourite TV shows and TV personality? Question of sport and minder. He says, Arthur Daly, he's in a class of his own. I do agree with that. I do like Arthur, Arthur Daly. Funniest man at Wimbledon and the most boring. So he goes for himself for the most funny. And he goes for Laurie Sanchez as the most boring. I'm sure we've seen that in other people's ones as well. So Laurie Sanchez isn't coming out the best of these things. And just across the page again, another advert. Sport Rendezvous Home Shop Football Kits. Now there's photos of kits for Celtic, England, Everton, Chelsea and Ajax. There's a Celtic home and away with a shell suit and wind cheater. Uh, the Celtic one is an infamous lightning type design. Interestingly, both home and away in this one don't have the sponsor's logo on them. So yeah, I, I think that one's that Celtic away strip is pretty universally accepted as one of the the, the worst efforts at a football strip. So so it's like a lime lime green at the bottom, white in the middle different colour of green and then another different colour of green and it's it sort of reminds me of that Scotland strip of the period as well now, yeah. now I look at that and on pages 42 and 43 and I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to deliberately skip this section Gordon uh, because if you if you see there is a result in there um, which maybe wasn't too pleasing well uh, the fact that I'm talking about it means I'm not going to skip it so Motherwell beat Hibs 5-1 on this day 30 years ago so unlucky there was we've got Aberdeen 2 3rd Lanark 1 it's nice to see 3rd Lanark in there as well so we're going to go into our own so here we go this one's Greavesies is over the next two pages I'm going to pick out Party Pooper so Fiona Robertson from Dundee asked Greavesie did you really snub the party to celebrate the 25th anniversary of England's World Cup win because you're still upset at missing the final so Graves replies, don't be stupid. I've always said Alf Ramsey was right to choose Jeff Hurst. I'm very annoyed that the fuss made over my absence because the organisers of the reunion knew a long time ago that I wouldn't be attending, yet they never made it public. I haven't attended any public function where booze will be flowing for 13 years because my first duty is to my wife Irene, my family, myself and my employers. I'm no saint and if I got together with the boys I'd still be tempted to have a drink. I've been totally responsible. It's a pity others can't be the same. I'm I'm not the biggest fan of Greavesy, but I think that's very honest of him and open. And I rem I remember him t talking about that on Saint Greavesy at the time. I, I remember him saying that that he wouldn't go because it was a bar. I thought that was really interesting at the time. Yeah, just the honesty. I I, I admire that. That's good. Um, there's Jim's file of fame so he says the best player to ever wear a Spurs shirt and second only to the late Duncan Edwards in terms of versatility is Dave Mackay defence, midfield or attack he was brilliant anywhere Dave's toughness was legendary and he'd tackle anything I recall his first game back after a broken leg when he absolutely threw himself into a fearsome 50-50 challenge just to test his recovery it was an almighty gamble and took so much bottle off the pitch he was a great bloke Dave the Rave, he called himself. You've always got to worry when people give themselves nicknames, don't you? <laughs> uh, so on to page 45, and this is Simon Says. So it says, Simon Says, settled down now, and it's, the article looks at Simon Stainrod, 
now at Falkirk and it's got a colour photo of him in the Burns kit which looks like Hummel to me I think that's a Hummel kit there uh, so the article says Simon Stainrod has finally grown up and Falkirk are reaping the benefits he admits that in his early days he was more concerned with himself than the team but now at 32 the big striker has turned over a new leaf and concedes if I'd known 10 years ago what I know now I could have been a better player I used to like being a bit flash but now it's important that I take responsibility for others and do things to help the team he continues and he says I had a spell in my early 20s when I thought I was it and got a bit lazy. I should have been at my prime, but actually I peaked after that. Probably when I moved to France, and since coming to Scotland, I've maintained that form. Now, Stainrod was instrumental in helping Falkirk gain promotion to the Premier League, and he says, Since Jim Jeffries and myself came here, I feel the club has progressed every week. We won the first division, and we've stuck to our principles in the Premier, rather than getting sucked into the long ball game, which a lot of weaker sides do when they step up. This is the level I'm used to playing and I'm loving it. The Falkirk fans have taken them to the hearts and a recent contract scare had stunned them and had them worried. He says, everything is settled. I had a complicated contract which basically meant if I didn't play, I wouldn't get paid. And at 32, that insecurity bothered me. But we've come to a private agreement and I'm happy with that. It's very amicable and we all know where we stand. So as a spoiler, Falkirk finished the season fourth from the bottom but they were comfortably off the relegation zone uh, let's talk about Simon Stainrod uh, he's, there's a few stories about him floating about isn't there one to do with shoes and things like that <laughs> you're, asking, you're asking me to tell you that <laughs> <laughs> go for it no I'm not getting involved, I'm not getting involved. <laughs> those days are behind me left newspapers four, uh, four years ago now yeah so yeah I mean Simon Stainrod is he's one of these players who came up here and really just shone and has went away after a relatively short time and you know he's a club legend there and a lot of people uh, you know remember him really well when when they won Tom was that the, was that the season they won the Kabowie the Kabowie, the yeah. Kabowie. yeah so so the, there's lots of great photographs from that day uh, at Kabowie from when Falkirk won that he was one of those players one of those players that used to really really annoy me <laughs> I just, you know one of those permatanned preening like <laughs> He was like the Robbie Savage of of his era in Scottish football. Because I always really liked Kevin McAllister at Falkirk, and he had some players I was I was always quite fond of. But he just came on glowing like he'd been on a sunbed. <laughs> and I just he's one of those players I like to dislike as a as a Hibs fan. Yeah, this sort of just comes on good looking, shiny, you know, really really tanned. Yeah, and, and I can I can sense your hatred there. You know. He's the kind him. of man that would—he's the kind of man that would chat up your girlfriend at the bar <laughs> when you're with her. <laughs> okay, listen, we've we've done well here. We've got to to the end of the magazine, and I'm just going to touch on a few things before we we finish up here, Gordon. So, with the the podcast, what we do is we we team up with a charity partner for each of the seasons, and we've started teaming up with a, a new charity partner for the third season and it is the West Dumbartonshire Community Food Share, so I'm just going to read out a wee bit about them. So this charitable organisation provides various services and support to the local community, including the following. School uniform bank, uh, school holiday brunch bags, food provisions, Christmas toy bank, cooking and growing lessons, and a baby bank. Now they provide essential support to the local community and supporting individuals and families, and we will be looking to support them any way we can through the podcast. 
This will include drives for donations of food, money, support in terms of volunteers, etc. But we'll also be ra raising awareness of the group to highlight the work they do, but also ensure that families and individuals who can benefit from the group are aware of these vital services. Now you can follow them on Western Bartonshire Community Food Share on Facebook or Western Bartonshire Community Foodshare.co.uk and that's an N for Dunbartonshire, not Dunbarton. Also keep an eye on our Twitter accounts, shoot TB underscore podcast and at Scott's Foot Cards for updates as well. So yeah, listen, it's it provides an absolutely essential service. We know that they shouldn't be needed, food banks, but they are needed and so they provide that. So anything we can do to, to bring awareness to them, to support them, to help them with that, especially as things are at the moment, it's probably as bad as it will have been for, for many years. You know, anything we can do for that, we will, we will happily do. So please, if you're listening, go check them out, look out for any any tweets, any posts or that about them and just give us some support for them as well. Now, one of the things we do, Gordon, for the for each of the shows is we, we do an associated web page. So it'll be all the stuff that, that we've talked about. There'll be, you know, grabs of the the articles. We'll, anything we've talked about was a video. There'll be a link to the video, uh, web pages and things like that. So essentially what people can do when they listen back to this is they can follow through the magazine and what we're talking about at the same time. So it just gives them the same interaction that we are doing as well, hopefully. So on that, we we also have a, a donate button, and what what we'll do is we ask them and say for every pound that you get, it go into a virtual raffle, gets you a virtual raffle ticket, and what we put together is a goodie bag, and it'll contain the so here's the the original magazine that we discussed, and I'll throw some in other stuff from the collection, and if there's any, anything that that you have yourself that you could maybe throw into a goodie bag that you can look out, oh, yeah. um, that'd be really appreciated. And what we do at the end of the season is we, we draw the raffle. Whoever gets, whoever wins that, will get the goodie bag, and all the money will go towards the the charity partner. That's what we do for that. I'm just going to say a, a little thank you as well to our, our producer Diane Jardin, um, who works for works in Claybank, and she's got a studio transmissionroom.co.uk, and it's great rehearsal and recording facilities in Claybank. So if anybody needs that in the area, then please check out transmissionroom.co.uk and as always we give a special thanks to Pete Wiley of the Mighty Wah for the music for the show so our intro and outro music is Story of the Blues one of the best songs of all time in my opinion so you can catch up with Pete on petewiley.co.uk so so just back to yourself Gordon what, what what's going on in your life at the moment what's happening I'm afraid it's a pretty sad story at the moment really I've had a, a bad time I've been off work since March the 4th, because I've got a hemorrhaged polyp on my vocal cord. So the reason I sound a bit hoarse, a bit like Sean Dyche, is this battle I've been having to get my voice fixed. And because of coronavirus, I've not been able to get into hospital to get the surgery. So Tuesday, the 21st of July, in the morning, finally getting the operation. And then once I'm back fit again and done my speech therapy, I'm hopefully going to get back to work. So it's been a long time. It's been 18 weeks since I was last on the radio. So it's um, it's been lovely being at home with my wife and kids. It's the most I've ever seen them. Um, but I think it's time to get back out of the house and out of the hair and get back to some kind of normality. I've, I've kept myself busy, though. I've been very lucky to work with Willie Hockey, who you might know as the, one of the directors at Celtic. Um, 
he's got a charitable trust in Glasgow and he's supported me so I can lend my time to work for charities during coronavirus. So I've worked a little bit with Teenage Cancer Trust to help the Scottish government on the stay at home messaging. Uh, I've done some stuff for a charity called Strong Not Silent about mental health and, and male suicide. And just basically giving my time to people that I wouldn't have been able to do otherwise if, if Willie hadn't given me some financial backing. So that, that's been really rewarding. And I just feel like I've managed to, to give my time to stuff that otherwise I wouldn't have been able to. So that was that was good. And I think Willie Hockey deserves a big name check for that because it's without him, it would have been a really, really difficult spell in my life, you know, because it's the first time. I found myself unable to do my, my main job because of some some illness. So, yeah, it's been a bit of a, a mad one, really. But, yeah, just looking forward to what comes next. You know, I've been doing... Four years I've been out of newspapers and on Radio X. And uh, I, I turned 40 in lockdown, which was pretty depressing, to be honest. Um, having an existential crisis, uh, worrying about where I sit in the world with, with work and all that kind of stuff. But... We'll see what happens. You know, it's going to be a big change for a lot of people when we, we get back out of this and get return to some kind of normality. So mm-hmm. we will see what happens. So firstly, wish you all the best with the, the operation. I hope that all goes well and you have a really quick recovery. Secondly, when we do the webpage, I'll contact you before and we'll get all the links to all these charitable trusts and things like that that you've just spoke about and we'll, we'll put that on the page. Thirdly, from my own point of view, What's it like working in the same environment as Gavin Woods and Johnny Vaughan? <laughs> they are wonderful, wonderful, infantile man boys. <laughs> <laughs> I love them dearly. You know, it's one of the hardest things of being away from Radio X is being shouted at by Johnny Vaughan every day mm. and Gavin Woods uh, telling me really obscure facts about Kieran Tierney that I wouldn't expect a man of his age yeah. to know. But they're just wonderful men. Love, love sport, love football, and love the pub. No, I listen. I, I absolutely, I, I love, I love Johnny Vaughan. But actually, I prefer. I think Gavin's such a great straight, straight man for him as well. And absolutely, I've got so much time for him. And we we, we chat on Twitter and things like that as well. So I, yeah, yeah I, I've got a lot of love for those two. So so on that. Listen, th- thank you again for spending your entire evening with us this has been absolutely brilliant yeah, I've really done. enjoyed it so I, ho- I hope you've enjoyed it as well um, yeah th- thank you for, for, for joining us as always I'd like to thank Tom for being Tom thank you Andy thank you for listening to the podcast for you know I always give a wee shout out to whoever's out there and if we're just shouting into the silence and you know we're having fun that's the main thing um, so until the next time let's shoot the breeze <laughs> <laughs>